But there's so it's X, mine's an XR. I don't know. Fuck is that? I, don't what, know. I don't know. There's a bunch of different X's. <laughs> I know it wasn't the most expensive one know. because, uh, not the most expensive. No, because there was another one. This was, I think, retails like 750 and there was a there was one next to it for a thousand, but the, you know, that one had an optical camera. I was like, mm. that'd be sweet, but it's another 250. Optical. <laughs> mm-hmm. Soderbergh's new movie was filmed on an iPhone 10. Was it really? Yep. Uh, there you go. You know that guy who retired a long time ago? <laughs> 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 Fucking dude retires about every five years. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with film. <laughs> I guess I gotta come back. <laughs> I'll just produce this. <laughs> I'll just have a minor role in making this. <laughs> All right, I'll make it. <laughs> So, did you uh, reorder your list from last year? Uh, I'm going to do it on the fly. Okay. There was really only... I'm going to openly brainstorm if I'm going to include one. It would only fall to like 10 or 9. Mm-hmm. There's one that jumps jumps up to, I don't know, between the 5 and 3 spot, possibly. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's it. I only had two that I would consider bumping in. Mm-hmm. I listened to that whole podcast last year at work and i was like i haven't looked at the ones that you had in your list to be like well what did i watch those since then and i was like no i didn't watch any of i didn't watch darkest hour uh i mean most of our movies were the same but there's a few that were different that you had that i didn't mm-hmm. and i was like phantom thread darkest hour are the two off the top of my head i could think of phantom thread's been sitting on my dvr for <laughs> six months <laughs> How's yours? A lot of movement. A lot Big of movement. shifts. <laughs> really? Those two you mentioned off the list. <laughs> oh, Those really? were 10 and 9. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because I wrote down both of ours. Phantom Thread, Darkest Hour. Yeah, other than that, I, I think all oh, Blade Runner. I, I didn't include. I, I've seen that, obviously, but that was honorable mention last year. Mm-hmm. That remains an honorable mention. <laughs> <laughs> have you watched it and not fallen asleep yet because the yeah. first time you watched it you didn't you fell, fell asleep, asleep. Yeah. <laughs> but then you rewatched it yeah i rewatched oh, it rewatched it it was good didn't make you want to cry at the end like you <laughs> you bitch <laughs> uh, tugs at the heartstrings. it was very good what does it mean to be human jones Means not being a fucking robot watching that movie. You got to squirt some <laughs> a little bit here and there. It's very good. A lot of good visuals. 
Excellent opening scene. How about the score? Bah! <laughs> <laughs> little like uh, Inception. Yeah. I think it was Hans Zimmer. Like you said, I'd believe it. Yeah. Inception's been on HBO a lot lately. Sam had the day off yesterday. Mm-hmm. I know, I mean, her hung out. I figured. <laughs> <laughs> then I almost was late for work because she's watching Inception. <laughs> and I just kicked back in the chair and she's like, you have to go to work. I go, just give me about 10. <laughs> <laughs> Did you come home for lunch? Huh? Did you come home for lunch? Did I? Yeah. Uh, she picked me up and we went to uh, eat somewhere. I thought you'd come home for nooners. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> We're married. I don't know if those exist. <laughs> Handies. I started giving me a handy. The cul-de-sac. <laughs> Pull into a cul-de-sac. Oh, man. We cruised by a cul-de-sac a few weeks ago. I go, nice. A lot of handies over there. She's like, you're disgusting. <laughs> what, back home? No, just somewhere around here. <laughs> Anytime I see a cul-de-sac. Good times. <laughs> Especially a developed cul-de-sac in the midst. Like, not all the properties are built yet. It's a prime spot. <laughs> Nobody's looking out their windows. <laughs> exactly. You just got to park a little right in between the built-up homes. They don't know oh, what's man. happening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We should probably get this show on the road, huh? Let's get it popping. It's been a while for the listeners since they've heard Alex the Bicep Jones's voice grace these airwaves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They've been missing it. <laughs> I only come but once a year now. <laughs> Good news, WTM fans. Jones just told me before we got on air that he's going to be back every week and every episode <laughs> we do from now on. Uh, he committed. I committed to it. <laughs> I'll just cancel right before every week. <laughs> Can't do it. <laughs> just couldn't make it on time. Just couldn't make it there. <laughs> Told crowd scene. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, this is WTM Watch This Movie, and I am Eric Mulder. So he says, wrecked him. Damn near killed him. Back for a limited time only <laughs> is Mr. Jones. How are you, sir? Excellent. You all know me. Know how I earn a living. I'll catch this bird for you, but it ain't gonna be easy. Bad fish. Not like going down the pond chasing bluegills or tommy cots. <laughs> so good. Still get every time? Yeah, it's still the best sound bite ever to be played in WTM. I know, I was a bit partial to this one. Oh, fuck Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Brought that up a couple of times when you're, we mentioned you in passing. So you're no longer on the show. <laughs> like, uh, Brett will drop some uh, like 90s hip-hop references, and Jason's completely lost, of course. Yeah. And so he's like, oh, God, fuck it. Wish Jones is here to co- corroborate you know, my, my reference. <laughs> and they'll play that of fuck Jones. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. So in the RoboCop episode that you missed, mm-hmm. that was that was when you're still on the show though, right? But back for a limited time, or this episode primarily, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much once every February. 
to recap because the other two people refuse to watch new movies. <laughs> well, one of them's not on a regular anymore. basis. Yeah. One of them's like you now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's, not, let's not compare each other. <laughs> and Brett doesn't watch enough new movies. He lives in Woodbury. They got the Alamo Draft House. Yeah. He should be. I'd be ripping that place up. Yeah. Sam and I have been there, I don't know, like four or five times. They got good food. Oh, yeah. And if I lived in Woodbury like him, they fucking played. Like, they had good fellas on during the middle of the week. Mm-hmm. Or else uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Don't was, you work during the middle of the week? Well, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I had to skip work if I lived in Woodbury. <laughs> Go hanging out with the Alamo Draft House. There you go. That's probably my new favorite theater in the metro. Yeah. Yep. I have yet to attend, but I am you looking been there forward yet? to it. No. Dude. I'm looking at their cult movie, B movie list. Okay. They have a lot of different stuff that they play at night. Yep. Some trash cinema. They had, they, we were going to take Kira to uh, Space Jam there. I forget when mm-hmm. that was. That was a long time ago, but it was like morning. So they served cereal <laughs> while you watch Space Jam. <laughs> Speaking of Space Jam, uh, that episode might have disappeared. <laughs> I logged back in to uh, edit it and post it, and wouldn't you know it, what the audio is gone, except for the clips that we play. Brett and my <laughs> audio is just offline, sample offline. She get Don't J- know why. She get Jason, the producer, in to fix it. Oh, well, wait. He's... <laughs> <laughs> Plus, he deleted all the other files. So, <laughs> <laughs> strike three, Jason. No, I think it's because I updated my OS to Mojave. I think that's where the bugaboo came in. They gave me a bunch of weird prompts about mm-hmm. accessibility to the program. I was like, oh, this sounds ridiculous. Like, do you want, are you going to allow, you know, live to control your computer? I'm like, no. What? Why would I let a program control my fucking computer? Trying to take over, man. Bunch of different prompts. Yep. Mojave is becoming self-aware. <laughs> <laughs> Just but, the beginning. Uh, yeah. So I don't know if Space Jam episode will come out or not. Was it a good one? It was a pretty good one. So it wasn't like your guys' worst than I it was father's be. episode that you never no. aired? No. <laughs> <laughs> one that you're That cool one we didn't air by choice. <laughs> right. But one that you're cool with not airing. So Space Jam was... Yeah, would have been worthy of a listen. Yep, hmm. it's a pretty solid one. How was it? When's the last time you watched Space Jam before then? Years, been a, been a few years. Okay, like from start to finish. Yeah, I think I watched it maybe five years ago, six years ago. From start to finish, I think so. I know I, it wasn't just I when I was a kid. I don't know if I've watched it start to finish since college. Maybe I've got little bits. No. When I see like Newman and stuff when I fly <laughs> passing by. <laughs> uh, so stay tuned on the Space Jam front. <laughs> Try to keep you updated. <laughs> Otherwise, we might just move into our media and culture slate of movies. So we'll see. So let's just generally talk about the Oscars. We don't, we're not going to talk about every nomination or category, just your general thoughts. But the many controversies, the Academy can't get it out of its own fucking way. Mm-hmm. So they hire Kevin Hart, and they fire him because those tweets from, what, six, seven years ago? Oh, and they, they told him if he apologized publicly, 
then they would have left him on. Mm-hmm. But then he quit. And then uh, he apologized plenty of times. Though. That's why he quit. Because he's <laughs> like, well, uh, I'm not going to publicly apologize again for this. So I'm going to quit. I'll issue a statement explaining why. <laughs> and then like, that's fine. Like, I'm sure he's pissed. But you can't blame him. <laughs> yeah. How many times you got to apologize for something? <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was a bit, uh, bit much to fire him. Especially there was a backlash to you know rehire him. Mm-hmm. Who like, they have they found? I haven't kept up with it to be honest. They're going hostless. Hostless. No, no host. How the fuck is that going to work? They it's might not. actually. They might be done on time. <laughs> Well, they were going to. If there's no little bits in between, unless I assume they're going to do some type of sketch shit with different people. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be different presenters, but... But I mean, like, in between moments. Yeah, I don't know. I'm guessing Jimmy Kimmel's not going to take the uh, celebrities into a theater next door and interrupt a screening. Probably not. So that'll save some time. But they were trying to save even more time and cut out the airing of cinematography, the award for cinematography... Hmm. I think editing, and I think live action shorts. And okay. there's a big uproar over that, of course, because like cinematography, you're not going to show, you're not going to. I was going to say, are you going to cinematography? Yeah, or ed- I mean, any of them editing? for that matter. I was going to say edit live action shorts, I guess, but it's, but not an, not animated shorts, right? I mean, if you got, I figure if you got rid of one of the shorts. Live action and animated, why not? Yeah, just boot them both. I don't know how you can get rid of cinematography and editing. <laughs> it's pretty substantial things. I'm not 100% film. sure on editing, but I know it was cinematography. So okay. they announced that they were getting rid of those. They're not going to show them live. And there was a big uproar, of course. And oh so the Academy caved a couple of days ago. Okay, we're going to air all the awards in their entirety. Hmm. Of course, they've never aired all the awards. There's always those little technical awards that yeah. they bring up once. They're like, here's what happened three weeks ago at the, I don't forget what they call them, yeah. but they're, they're Oscars, but they're, they're just the, considered the, less than. Yeah. It's for these very specific technical things. Have they have a big banquet and they show like one minute of highlights. Yeah. Have they ever done hostless before? No. I don't think so. I don't think so. I've never... Recalled them doing it, or ever read that they've never. Oh wait, weird. they did. Remember when uh, Anne Hathaway and James Franco did it? <laughs> was that host? Oh no, that was a host. But oh, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Anne Hathaway, bless her heart, she tried, but I don't no, know what James was Franco bad. was doing. <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> uh, that would be interesting one. I contemplated not watching them. After we just because of all the, I don't know, the Kevin Hart thing was one thing, but I, I don't know, they just seem kind of douchey, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like with all the moves they're making to be over inclusive, and then I don't know, two cents. I don't know. I contemplated, but it's like I'll probably watch them. Nothing yeah. else to do. I got to keep my streak going. What's that? I've, Wa- of watching them. Yeah, I've watched them every year at least since two thousand. When I guess technically it would have been 2001 because when Gladiator won. Oh, okay. But I think I also remember watching the Titanic. So that would have been 98. I remember watching one that. for best of 97. His old Billy Crystal hosted. He had yep. that great opening uh, bit where he fit and they fit him into like all the movie scenes. 
Yep. So like the Titanic one, it's when the ship's up and then they're hanging mm-hmm. on the thing and then he, <laughs> Billy Crystal looks over and says something. It's also when uh, Benini jumped on the seats when he won Best Actor. Oh, okay. Roberto Benini for Life is Beautiful. No. Benini? <laughs> <laughs> Probably never heard that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, the Academy can't get out of its own way. You know, last year was all was already, I think, the worst viewed or worst watched Oscars. Right. It's just a downward trend. I wonder if it'll be better this year based on... Uh, Black Panther being nominated? Yeah, yeah. I was trying to think if there was any other movies like that, but Black Panther being in there, you know, mm-hmm. I figured the whole reason they're doing it is because of all the uproar over having movies like that involved not to mention you know because there's a big black uh superhero movie too yeah for the african-american <laughs> community so i don't know it'll yeah it'll be be interesting to see if the which i was a bit confused at the nominations there's eight mm-hmm. i mean people debate whether black panther deserved to be nominated or not i look at it like i got I liked Black Panther or that it was all right. Yeah. Um, I don't really have anything against it being nominated because the reason there's 10 possible nominations is because of a superhero movie. So right. it stands to reason that a superhero movie should be nominated. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, so there's eight nominations total this year. Yeah. And if Beale Street Could Talk isn't one of them. I was just about to look up the list. I haven't looked at it in a bit. Because the nominations are... The nominations are. <laughs> oh, yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody yeah. got a nominee. Yeah. I've seen, have you seen it? That's the only Best Picture nominee I haven't seen. You don't need to. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's good. Like, It's good in the sense if you, just, if you like the music, it's good. Mm-hmm. It is not Best Picture worthy yeah. at all. Uh, so, yeah, look at like Black Panther. Okay, Black Klansman... <laughs> I was much higher on Black Klansman before I read that Boots Riley essay. Oh, I haven't read that. Ooh. I don't know anything about Scathing that. review of Black Klansman by Boots Riley. You know what Boots Riley is? Mm-mm. He cool directed... Uh, <laughs> His real name? He directed Boots? Sorry to Bother uh, Sorry to Bother You. Oh, he did? Yeah. I like that. That was a good movie. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. That was like kind of my, the one I really wanted to see before we did this episode, but couldn't fit in the time mm-hmm. but it's on hulu so i'll watch it soon but anyways so he's african-american and he wrote this he posted this thing on twitter it was three pages typed like the first half of the first page is basically all about how much he admires spike lee and talked about how he's such an inspiration and yeah inspired him to make films himself and how important he's been to people of color and wanted to be in this industry and whatnot and then it was just a scathing review of Black Klansman huh. and how much bullshit it is. Because, you know, it's based on a true story. And, you know, a lot of those movies that are based on true stories, you know, they're not exactly that accurate. And so that's pretty common. Right. I assume that, that going into it, I kind of assume that. Yeah. Given who's directing it, which I like Spike Lee, but he has his, he has a very strong view and opinion yep. on things that I assume it's completely biased to that. Mm-hmm. So the story, I guarantee, does not align exactly to his view. So he's going to take advantage, which every director does. Yeah. Um, 
although it's almost it made me think that Spike Lee's almost changed in a way in that because like I said I, I encourage you to read what Boots Riley wrote about it but generally he wrote about how well first of all the climax of the film never happened I'm not going to say what the climax is mm-hmm. that none of that ever happened and Boots Riley points out that well it's true that yes this man infiltrated the KKK but what he really did was he infiltrated what the police considered black militant civil rights groups like black panthers organizations sure. like that and he does go to one of those rallies in the beginning yeah but yeah. he was in that he infiltrated that group for three years in real life hmm. and the cops would do that so that they could they would infiltrate the kkk simultaneously so they could direct attacks at those black civil rights groups from the kkk hmm. so it's kind of a misrepresentation it's kind of like the whole point of the movie when in real life um i guess both the i guess john david washington's character and adam driver's character were probably dirt bags hmm. <laughs> both of them i mean some could argue i obviously i can't speak for a single black person but it would seem to be that he sold out his race somewhat if he's infiltrating his uh, i guess races civil rights groups and they turn around and they use that information to weaponize the KKK and these other white supremacist groups to then go and attack black civil rights groups. Mm. Kind of like, mm, I don't know about that. Yeah. And Boots Riley also talked about how, I guess it was the NYPD paid Spike Lee like $250,000 a couple of years ago to film something that was going to help relations between the police and the black community or I guess mm-hmm. minorities in general. So it seems like he's kind of alleging that Spike Lee's shilling for the cops a little bit because the cops are shown to be in a pretty positive light. Sure. In Black Klansman, which you watch any of Spike Lee's other movies, it's not the case. <laughs> no, that is a good point that I kind of overlooked with how the cops are portrayed over overall. I mean, there there is a little bit of shitty cops in the movie. Yeah. But it is kind of interesting given the especially the current climate mm-hmm. with cops and minorities today i mean I, I probably did i butchered boots Riley's, i guess uh essay a little bit but i encourage you to read it it was on twitter hmm. it kind of calls into question you kind of question motives yeah I mean, it, it was, the, the performances are still great i oh, still, still enjoyed the movie. movie yep it made my top 10 <laughs> spoilers made it <laughs> i don't know where it's at <laughs> <laughs> it was in my top 10, uh, or it was going to be, and then after I re- read that, I kind of do it from consideration. Boots, suede, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. But is it interesting to learn about what Boots had to say, because it was kind of a piece of history I guess didn't really think about or know about, but I'm like, well, yeah, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> well, and most people didn't know about any of the history behind some of these specific stories, too. Mm-hmm. So as listening to last year's episode of this, we kind of touched on... And I mentioned how I was becoming, at that time, uh, more bothered or critical of movies that say based on a true story. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, there was so, The Post was one that I had read about at that time. And I still haven't watched The Post. And I pretty much haven't watched it because of the things I read leading around the time that it came out from so many investigative reporters, all that, whatever I talked about in last year's episode. But there's little things like that where these based on a true story, I'm like, they're... 
they're almost taking advantage of a topic to drive whatever point they want, mm-hmm. knowing that the majority of people going to them are just going for the entertainment of it, but a lot of people don't even know much about it. So they're just, if you ever mention that historical topic again, people are going to base their opinion probably on the movie they saw, which I get. It's all, no, movies are art and what have you. So it's all different perspectives, but I don't know. I I do take with a grain. If I see based on a true story nowadays, I'll, I'll read a little bit about it before I go or after. Or I'll just assume that most of it's bullshit and it's just mm-hmm. over-dramatized. Uh, watching Vice, I did like that they called out in Vice watching that. They're like, Dick Cheney d- did not ever write a book about his life. So this is <laughs> literally based on tons of opinions. Like, they're like yeah. we fully admit a lot of this could be bullshit. But we tried our best. Like that's <laughs> what they say in the beginning. I appreciate that. I mm-hmm. appreciate that call out because it's clearly stating, "Hey, we're trying to get a good picture of what he was like from tons of perspective." But there is no account. There's nothing with this. This isn't based off a book he wrote. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. A review I read of Vice said that uh, it's a very unfair and inaccurate portrayal of dick cheney but that's what he deserves <laughs> it was like it makes sense <laughs> it's probably a bunch of bullshit but yeah fuck him anyways <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, oh that's interesting but yeah it's kind of like one. spike lee has dealt with a lot of fiction in his movies i mean a lot of them are just fictional movies i'm trying to think of ones that he's done that are strictly based on a true story i don't know if he's really done many I mean, he's done things that have been inspired by things he's seen growing up, of course. Mm-hmm. What was that one saint? The miracle? Oh, miracle at St. Anna. Yeah, it wasn't that. I don't know. I can't remember if that was based on. I believe it was. True story. Um, I don't think it was. I believe it was Black Soldiers in World War Two. I think so. I never saw it, but that's the only one that comes to mind. He got game. I think that was based on Ray Charles. <laughs> Ray, Ray, Charles. Ray Allen's life. Yeah. <laughs> Played by Ray Allen. Fucking <laughs> crazy. Uh, that, aren't they supposed to be doing a sequel to that? He got game? Yeah. I, think I so. don't know. I'll go to it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fucking love that shit. <laughs> well, you wore out the VHS tape. <laughs> Just on the certain parts. <laughs> College visit. Pretty much Ferris just, wheel. Ferris wheel. <laughs> the drive around town with the drug dealer. Just when he's talking about the one part. <laughs> then he got that pussy <laughs> Those lips, those hips Those honey dips <laughs> Oh man Still There's some deep polls from yeah. that game. And I haven't watched that in a long time uh, About one twelfth of the listening audience Is really going to appreciate those I'd, I still want that shuttles, shuttles, Shuttlesworth jersey Yeah Oh yeah uh, <laughs> Brett sent me a picture. He was watching a. It wasn't this past weekend, but like a wrestling pay per view or a. Yeah, I think it was a, it was a wrestling pay per view like a couple weeks ago. Somebody was in the front row wearing a authentic Charlie Conway oh, really? Muddy Ducks jersey. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> He's hanging awesome. out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Black Klansman. 
I mean, I look at Spike Lee and I think of someone who's, he knows his shit. He's done his research. Mm -hmm. And so especially a movie about a black cop infiltrating the KKK, I don't know. I guess I just expected less Hollywood or I guess less bullshit to be in it. Like to me, like that premise didn't seem like you need to embellish it at all. Like that's a fascinating enough story. That's what I thought. I remember leaving, going, "I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna read up on that to see if there's a book mm-hmm. or whatever about it." Because yeah, to your point, I was like, "Well, if that's just the basis of the story, yeah, it's fucking super interesting. Shouldn't have to do a whole lot to it, but clearly you do." Yeah, it seems like uh, you know John David Washington's character might have been a detriment to civil rights <laughs> at yeah, that time possible full bootsies right so it's kind of like well why make the movie (laughs) sometimes i'm curious with those because i'm like there are there's got to be so many stories out there that are interesting enough that can probably prove the point you want why do you take something that doesn't and twist it a little bit you know what i mean i get some of it's a rights issue if it's based on a book but you can just make a movie based on history you know you don't need a book you Mm -hmm. can you can base it off of some that's why i'm like i gotta imagine there's some cop story out there with a black cop and a white department that did something that was super interesting then you could just use that and twist you know tweak things a little bit because it is a movie but that's why sometimes i'm just confused on why why the fuck do you pick that Mm mm-hmm Unless there, there's obviously all kinds of different financial shit happening, why movies get made, but I don't know. I think that's why the based on true story stuff becomes more disappointing to me over yeah. time. It's like just do what the Coen Brothers did. Say it's based on a true story, they'd be like, we, we're just joshing you, and it's not. <laughs> <laughs> but you thought it was more interesting, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> but you can only do that once, though. That's the problem. Yeah. Because now if they do it, you'd be like, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but it was. All right. Well, that's probably enough Oscar talk. Um, what do you think is going to win Best Picture? Might as well call that out. I don't. I really don't know. This. This. I haven't looked at the betting odds. Because mm-hmm. I figured you would have known that part. I haven't looked those up. No, I mean, I looked at my blaster because we were betting on the picks. Right. We're not doing that this year. No. But it, it is pretty much up in the air because all the different guilds, you know, the DGA, the WGA, all those different guilds have their own award shows, and every one of them has been, there's been a different winner each time. Hmm. Buyer's yeah. Guild, the Director's Guild, Producer's Guild. Who won the Golden Globes? Was it Green Book? Uh, Well, it was t- Bohemian Rhapsody won for oh, yeah. comedy or musical. Yeah, they ain't going to And then... God, what one drama? Was it the favorite? I forget. I thought, it was, I thought Green Book won something. Maybe that that must have been one of the guilds then. Because I'm still surprised that Green Book's just crushing it. Yeah. Because, I don't know, the pre, not to say it's not a good movie. I mean, I like all the actors in it, but mm-hmm. Preview just never did it for me. Like, meh. The Preview? Or the trailer, I mean. Trailer trailer, trailer never really enticed me a ton. Like, well, what does the trailer matter? You saw the movie. No, I never saw it. Oh, you didn't? No. Oh. Because the trailer <laughs> never got me. <laughs> I thought you saw it. I thought it you like, told me last time I saw you that you had seen Green Book. Oh, no. no. I watched Book, it last night. Green Book and Roma are the two that I haven't seen. Okay. Seen all the other ones. 
should probably watch Roma. Yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah. Suck? <laughs> no, it's, it's really good. <laughs> Maybe it'll be on my list. Is it in English? No. <laughs> There's actually a, a little bit of it that is in English, but mostly in... Spanish. Well, yeah, Spanish, but <laughs> she's also... she. The main character is an indigenous woman, and I think there might be some like Native... American Spanish, like I don't know what the language it would have oh, been. Okay. I don't know different what dialect. Yeah, different dialect or maybe a different language altogether. Oh, I don't okay. know what type of you know indigenous person she was, but hmm. okay. So you're not gonna call a winner. Um, just call a winner. Just call. Just predict. Yeah, predict, bruh. Just throw caution to the wind. Just put yeah, myself bruh. out there. Yeah, bruh. Um, I think it's a toss up more than any other year. You know, last year we both predicted incorrectly, but we were pretty confident in our answers. Yeah. Listening to last year's episode, I was like, I really felt like I knew what I was talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. Everything's trending towards Roma, I think. I think Roma might. Really? Might do it. When's the last time a foreign language film won Best Picture? Mm. I would never know that, but I thought maybe you would. It's been a while. Yeah. Don't know off the top of my head. Okay. It also, has a, it's a Netflix thing, but it's been in theaters quite a while. Do you think it's the been Netflix... in dining here for like two months? Right. Roma? Mm hmm. Ah. Uh, do you think the Netflix thing will hurt it? Well, normally I would say yes, but since it's gotten a pretty large theatrical release and. It's uh, Alfonso Caron. Mm-hmm. Academy loves him. So. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I think Roman might do it. Did just as good a chance as Green Book or Star is Born. A couple months ago, I probably would have said a Star is Born, but it hasn't gotten all that many wins in the yeah, world circuit. That, that's one that I thought would have got more up to this point, but I would guess Green Book. I haven't seen it just based on yeah, it's the winning a lot of awards. Of, so, yeah, I mean, it's winning so much. It's kind of confusing me, but. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. Uh, Mahershala Ali was terrific in it. Viggo Mortensen is pretty good as well. It's funny you do have to see it because he plays a a racist, stereotypical Italian man, mm-hmm. which that doesn't describe you at all. But he does like walking or like he gained a bunch of weight for the role. Yeah, like he's kind of out of shape, but I mean, he's still kind of strong. He's a, he's a bouncer. Yeah, but so you're in shape, but you're a big dude. Yeah. But Huge. he just kind of walks around. He lumbers around his house in his wife beater, <laughs> just eating everything. You should see what he eats in this movie. It's like a shtick. It's like a shtick in the movie. Yeah. Is what he eats. Like he'll, he takes a pizza, he folds it in half, and then just eats it like a taco. <laughs> probably, he's he's driving Marshall Ali around, and he has these huge, like, sandwiches. Like he eats his and Ali's sandwiches. He's just a. Like, he, t- he says something about how his dad always tells him to go 100% everything. You know, if you're going to sleep, sleep. If you're going to eat, eat. You know, <laughs> if you're going to work, work. You know, like you work hard. Yeah. If you're going to eat, like go all out. Huh. So every time he eats, he just fucking pounds food down. Massive appetite on this guy. Sounds like the best picture. <laughs> now I was like, I was see, like, now if they'd have put that in the trailer, <laughs> I'd have been first in line. This <laughs> guy so just lumbering around. <laughs> <laughs> like he, he kind of moves like you a little bit. 
just kind of hulking dude walking around his apartment. Just suave. <laughs> just eating. <laughs> eating half folded pizzas. <laughs> so, yeah. You'll get a kick out of that. I'll check that one out. Got a week. Oh, five days. Yeah. Yeah. Who do you think is going to win? Green Book? You Green Book. Okay. I feel like it's Green Book without having seen it. I would like a different one to win, but. Yeah, I would too. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into our top 10. So first, we're going to revisit our top 10 list from last year, mm-hmm. which have been the top 10 films of 2017. And uh, I'll read my list and then I'll tell you what's changed. That's pretty much it. We won't spend all that much time on it. Maybe just talk a little bit about what moved out of your list, what moved on to the list. Okay. Why you chose those movies to move up or down. Why you do what you do. (laughs) (laughs) So my list from last year, coming in at number 10 was Phantom Thread. Number nine, Darkest Hour. Eight, Get Out. Seven is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Six was The Florida Project. Five was Dunkirk. Four was I, Tanya. Three was Wind River. Two, It Comes at Night. And number one was Blade Runner 2049. So Darkest Hour and Phantom Thread have fallen off the list. Done. And out of the national consciousness, if you will. Pretty much. And onto my DVR (laughs) (laughs) for six months. (laughs) Uh, We got a couple of new additions at number 10, number nine. Number 10 was Lady Macbeth. You've heard of Lady Mm, Macbeth? Heard of it. I haven't seen it. I think it's still on HBO. Okay. I guess I'll give the deets of this since it wasn't even honorable mention last year or on the list at all. So this movie says 2016, but it was released in 2017. It was one of those awards movie or uh, festival movies, movies directed by William Oldroyd, starring Florence Pugh, Cosmo Jarvis, Paul, Paul Hilton, Naomi Aki, Christopher Fairbank, Golda Rechevel. Storyline that in 19th century rural England, a young bride who has been sold into marriage discovers an unstoppable desire within herself as she enters into an affair with a worker on her estate based off of a russian story the lady macbeth you've obviously you've heard of the shakespeare uh play macbeth and there's a character in there named lady macbeth mm-hmm. and the lady macbeth in this movie is also partly inspired by that character hmm. so it's part macbeth part lady macbeth which is a russian story okay but uh hour and 30 that's yep. short Shorter than 90 expected minutes. for a 19th century period piece named Lady Macbeth. Yeah. I thought for sure it'd be over two. Uh, this actress, Florence Pugh, was amazing in it. Um, she's kind of what seals Pew. it for me. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> Her last name? Pugh. <laughs> <laughs> Could it be Pug? I don't even know. Maybe the H is silent. Well, that's not any fun. Don't ruin it. <laughs> I figure pew. Pube. <laughs> Come on, Jones. Grow up. Grow up. But yeah, she's... Uh, I'll be looking out for her. She's an up-and-comer. But yeah, I love the uh, the mood. love the story. Gets pretty dark. 
Uh, so I'm prepared for a dark movie. Some visuals. I was Great say, visuals. The stills that I'm seeing look pretty cool. Yeah, there's a lot of stills, a lot of stationary camera shots. Nice. There's a lot of <laughs> tracking or dolly cams, you know. It's more of a let the scene breathe type of shooting. We're going to put the yeah, camera cool. over here and action. <laughs> <laughs> now work your magic. But yeah, I watched it a couple of times since I've i probably watched it three times now over the past year. So oh, I've checked that one out. Yeah. So that's your number, number 10? 10. Okay. Another new addition to the list was Brawl and Cell Block 99. Mm, never got number nine. That, one. that was an honorable mention last year, but I know I like both these movies better than Darkest Hour and Phantom Thread. Okay. What can I say? So it's like they're out now. Uh, Get Out stays at number eight. Okay. Florida Project moves up, or I should say down, to number seven from six. Uh, Dunkirk moves down to number six from five. Because Three Billboards jumped to number five. Oh. I watched that again, I guess, for the second time uh, last weekend. Okay. I got a lot more out of it the second time around, and Mm. I was reading something. Um, that kind of made me think about the plot very differently. I guess the outcome or the resolution or lack thereof at the end. Mm-hmm. So that's all I'll say about that. But I did get a lot more out of it the second time. I enjoyed it more. Characters more. had had more of an emotional impact on me the okay. second time. So I was like, it's got to move up the list. And now Wind River at number four it moves down one, as does It Comes at Night. To number three from two. I got a new number one. And I knew you would. <laughs> you figured I'd come around and see the light. I was just curious where it would fall. <laughs> because I had Itania at four. Yep. And now it's number one for me. Although it was hard to put Blade Runner down to, to number two. I still could maybe even flip a coin. Because I find both of these movies very rewatchable. Mm-hmm. You might look at Blade Runner like two hours, 45 minutes. Now nah, I'm not watching that more than once every two years or something like that. Yeah. I've probably watched it five times, but then again, I've probably watched Itanya five times. So Itanya is your new number one. It is. By just, just a sliver. I actually thought you were going to say something else. What? Good time. No. I, that didn't even make the list. Uh, I was trying to make it trying to make it work. Really? It would be my it would be my number eleven. It was the okay. one I was trying to fit on. Sure, it was it was that one, Lady Macbeth and Cell Block ninety nine. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, it could change. Okay, we're not going to update it again next year. But no, right? Yeah, I Tanya, uh, solid number one. Yeah, it's just I think both I Tanya and Blade Runner twenty forty nine are both ASAPs. I know you didn't think of as highly as 2049, but um, I, Tanya, it's just everything I want in a movie. Yeah. Kinetic energy, fast moving, killer soundtrack, great performances. Makes you think. Makes you think. It's funny. Uh, great commentary on the state of our culture and media and all that. In fact, it's going to be included on our slate of movies about media and culture mm-hmm. that we're going to do. Um, we're going to do four movies. I, okay. Tanya is one of them. Natural Born Killers. I figured that. 
<laughs> um, I think Nightcrawler Ooh, is another yeah, one. That's another good one. And oh, I think we're gonna do a fun one. We're gonna do Anchorman too, since that's oh, about okay. the rise of twenty-four hour news. Yeah, that's a good one. More lighthearted. Yeah. But the uh, th- first three would be breakdowns, and then we just do a leftover of Anchorman too. Yeah. But you know, cause I kind of had the idea last year of. Like when you see you see the post and you see all these movies spotlight and rah rah journalism and mm-hmm. you know they can do no wrong and I'm just like well there's some other movies that point out some other flaws that they may have like with any corporation or institution mm-hmm. and I was like well that's not necessarily fair just to try and single out the media because the media wouldn't be what it is without our culture yeah. So we're going to do kind of a, an examination relationship between media and culture because they feed off of each other mm-hmm. and one wouldn't exist without the other. It's a vicious cycle, Jones. Yeah. So That'll that's be, what we're going to look at. Be a solid, solid block. All right. Uh, what was your list from last year and what changed? So my list from last year, so number 10, I had Logan. Number nine, three billboards. Number eight, Coco. Number seven, Get Out. Number six, Dunkirk. Number five, Stronger. Number four, Wind River. Number three, Baby Driver. Number two, It Comes at Night. Number one, I, Tanya. So I only had one addition and then some reshuffling. So so one fell off the list. One fell off the list simply because I added one. Mm-hmm. Um. So, so what fell off? So Logan fell off. <laughs> <laughs> How Jones' his last album was The Chronic. <laughs> uh, so Logan falls off. Good Time enters Ooh. my list. Ooh. Good Time comes in strong. So strong, in fact. <laughs> it bumps stronger back from number five to number six. <laughs> like what I did there? <laughs> so everything else moved up. What moved to ten? Uh, so, so good time goes to number five. If I would leave it in the order, three billboards would automatically go to number 10, but I actually bumped three billboards up a spot. So Coco is actually number 10. Okay. I bumped three billboards up a spot. Same reason as you. I've seen it since. I liked it a lot more. Um, I liked it the first time the ending was the problem I had with it. Mm -hmm. And actually the more I've watched it. Um, even in pieces, but all the way through too since then. I actually enjoy it a lot more. So I bumped that one up a spot. So it's Coco, then three billboards. Um, and then uh, Get Out, Dunkirk, Stronger. The list stays the same otherwise. I was trying to think of if I would shift any. Stronger might be shifted. I've only seen Stronger once, mm-hmm. and it did enough that – Jake Gyllenhaal's performance that I feel like I couldn't move it without watching it again. So I kind of leave my list the same. I, Tanya remains number one. It's when I re reread the list, listened to the episode. I, Tanya was easily the only movie on that list that I left the theater and I was still thinking about how much I fucking love the movie, mm-hmm. like how good it was and how much I thought about everything they were trying to get across in there after I left and I wasn't expecting that. I thought it was just going to be a thing about Tanya Harding. Yeah. Uh, and it did so much more that uh, it's still absolutely my number one, uh, without doubt. 
So not a lot of shifting. Good time though enters the list. Good time is fucking excellent. <laughs> you gave good time to me, and I didn't watch it for like six months, <laughs> maybe a year. <laughs> no, it wasn't that long. No, it wasn't that long. But it was. It sat on our Blu-ray for a long time. Uh, Robert Pattinson's character in there. I just still don't. I still know that I haven't fully grasped everything it was trying to get across. I've read about little things about it since. Mm-hmm. But his character is just so bizarre and dynamic. Like, there's so many different things about his character, and he does it so fucking well that it, I don't know. I was left, like, wanting to rewatch it a couple times in a row just to get more mm-hmm. out of his character, even his brother's character. Uh, yeah. That I was <laughs> like, Sam didn't like it as much. She was like, she enjoyed it. Yeah. But when I was done, I was like, that was fucking awesome. She's like, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> I was like, it, the story, I don't know. I How about when he found out his brother was one of the two guys that directed the movie? What's that? The Robin Pattinson's brother in there. Yeah. The, um, EDI, he's one of the directors. Yeah, he's one of the directors. Yeah. The Safdie brothers. Yeah. Which Benny Safdie. I looked it up before and saw it because I was like, who are these guys again? Uh because you don't think he's acting. You think maybe they just hired a person with right mental <laughs> problems. It's like that guy did fucking... Mental and physical disability. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that movie's so good that I was like, that that could bump up into my... That's why I say I was struggling with, should it go higher? I'll mm-hmm. leave it at five because I've only seen it one time. Um, but it's very possible it could jump ahead of Baby Driver, potentially, because it had a killer score, too. Yeah. Like the first 20 minutes is... I'll score and like action, yeah. fast paced shit. And you're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> get that money, get that money. Uh, not an honorable mention, but one movie that reminds me of you that it, it, it was okay. Did you ever see Atomic Blonde from last year? No. Uh, we had it on our DVR for a while. We watched it. It started off good. A lot of, lot of 80s tracks going on in oh, Atomic okay. Blonde. I'll check it out then. And there's good action <laughs> scenes where they use them. It, yeah. The movie just doesn't come together yeah. well enough that I was like, man, I was hoping for it to be better. But there are some cool visuals and there's some good, uh, really good music in that one. But I was like, mm-hmm. me and Sam were sitting there, we're like, fucking Mulder would be beaten <laughs> off to this movie. <laughs> <laughs> 80s tracks, huh? Yeah. Oh, there we go. Uh, so, yeah. So, that's that's the only change I would make changes all right now i'm certain that you're not going to spoil my number one i don't know if i'm going to spoil yours as we go through our list i don't know i'm curious i'm curious how our list will so line up this year i can pretty much guarantee you didn't even see my number one probably not i mean you just don't watch enough dude <laughs> since i fell off the podcast I- <laughs> Black Panther's number one. Uh, Creed two is number two. Just Ma- Michael B. Jordan was only in two movies this year, so my list consists of two movies. Yeah, that's it. I rewatched The Wire season one. So <laughs> is he in The Wire? Oh yeah, Michael B. Jordan is. Yeah, oh, cool. Yeah, watch The Wire. I know it's on my list. Watch The Wire season five for the media and culture. Oh, yeah, yeah. You guys have talked about that. There if Brett's seen The Wire. Yeah, he's seen it. He's a big, big he? fan. Okay. Oh, yeah. He said he quit liking The Wire because <laughs> of season five. Did he? Oh, okay. Yeah, he said that he, it went downhill for him in season <laughs> five. Now I remember him talking about it. Huh. You want to go first or? Why don't you kick us off number 10? Or do you want to start at number one and get worse? <laughs> 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 
No. <laughs> no, I'm good. I think I'll just go ten to one here. I put it out there. But. All right. Coming in at number ten, thoroughbreds. I already saw that on your table. Yeah, I just saw it the other night. <laughs> <laughs> we actually had it at the theater. Um, actually, before I go any further, I, I forgot to mention. You know, at the theater, we're showing the live action shorts and the animated shorts, mm-hmm. the Oscar noms. Yeah. We've been getting so many walkouts from the live action shorts. Whoo! Really? I don't think we've ever had a movie where more people have walked out. I've been working more often the past couple of weeks. Every show, there's been at least a couple of people that walked out. Just of the live action shorts? Just the live action shorts. They show them together, right? No, it's different or, show or, times. Like, they're short. Yeah, there's like five of them. Yeah, so people are people are walking out five minutes in. Well, uh, they all tend to be very dark, and they all mostly involve child murder or molestation. Or oh. there was one I saw where Jesus, there was one I saw where it was like a gang of like eight white guys beat the hell out of a black man in front of his family in a parking lot outside of like to some store oh. like viciously. People. I was like, this is rough. <laughs> Because some people come to those, like, they've seen the animated shorts, and they're like, oh, these are fun and uplifting. (laughs) And some people, you know, a lot of people will buy Uh, tickets for both shows, and they'll stay. Yeah. They'll get animated, and then they'll get live action, watch that, and they fucking... Everyone that stayed for the live action, I've got one compliment. Like, one person was like, have you seen those? Oh, they're really good. Everyone else is like, that's depressing as shit. (laughs) That's literally what some people have said. Well, it's time to get woke. <laughs> but one of them, I think, is based off of a true story about a little boy in Liverpool who killed another little boy. Jesus. Like, more, not necessarily by accident. Like, he guess he wanted to hurt him just a little bit. I don't know. It's some famous case over in Liverpool. I don't know much about it. So our, you know, our English listeners can maybe fill us in a little bit. But damn, mm. they're all dark. People are not happy. Huh. It's, it's, like it's in, just kind of funny to think of people walking out of a short film. Yeah. Because it's short. <laughs> like, it's gonna, it's, it's not going to be that long. I think altogether it's about an hour and 40 minutes. So they probably watched the first one, mm-hmm. and it's depressing, and the second one's like, Suppose if, still yeah. depressing, and the third one is like, all right, I'm tired like of they're this. They're done. Like, they're <laughs> like, all right, I don't feel like being depressed when I leave. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Back to Thoroughbreds. What's Thoroughbreds all about? Well, it's directed by Corey Finley. That guy. He's a playwright of the Red. stage, you know, the real theater. That's all I follow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this was like his first screenplay, and they let him direct. Hmm. First thing he's done for the movies, and they let him direct. People are on board. He's oh, like 28. He's a real director. Yeah. <laughs> Written and directed. How old is he? What did you say? Twenty uh, eight. Tw- well, he turned twenty eight. Damn. I think a few weeks after production wrapped. Huh. So he wrote this and did this when he was twenty seven. It's a young buck. Yeah. Stars, Olivia Cook, Anna Taylor Joy, Anton Yelchin in his final film role. Um, Paul Sparks, Francis Swift, Kaylee Vernoff. That's about it. Storyline, two upper-class teenage girls in suburban Connecticut rekindle their unlikely friendship after years of growing apart. 
Together, they hatch a plan to solve both of their problems, no matter what the cost. So on the poster, there's a lot of, this got pretty good reviews. Uh, there's a lot of blurbs on it. One of them says, uh, Heathers meets American Psycho. You seen Heathers? No. I watched it for the first time about a month ago. Okay. Heard pretty, of it. Pretty yeah, sweet. I've never seen it. I can see what they're going for with that comparison. Uh, I would say that it's a bit more of a slow burn, definitely, than one would think if they combine those two movies. But the performances are pretty great. The visuals are pretty stunning, especially for a first-time director. I know he's probably not hes not the cinematographer, but mm-hmm. he frames things how he wants to frame them. Kind of like a Lady Macbeth where there's a lot of stationary shots or just there's a lot of scenes where it's a long it's a long shot it'll be a couple of minutes maybe just a character doing something on camera with no cuts not tracking shots but just long shots okay with no cuts yeah which i guess you maybe kind of expect from a theater person makes sense yeah it's like uh the way he frames the shots is perfectly symmetrical mostly like fences yeah Um, this, uh, they go more places, but this was also, I think a play he started, he wrote this as a play and then as a screenplay. Okay. And then it morphed into a movie, but, um, Olivia cook, her character can't really feel anything. She's had issues, you know, psychological issues and Taylor joy is, you know, she kind of feels everything going through a lot, you know, in her, I mean, everyone's very upper class in here. Mm -hmm. Even Olivia cook's character is pretty well off. Yeah, but uh, uh, Anna Taylor Joy doesn't really like her stepdad. He's kind of a douche, and so they start talking about well, maybe we should just kill him. So the movie kind of jumps off from there. Anton Yelchin plays a uh, kind of a low-level drug dealer. Okay, kind of a bit of a douchey character as well, but he's pretty great in it. You know, it's just something to see as this final. I was gonna say film role. I was gonna ask. Okay, he's pretty good in it. Uh, it's a movie's classified as kind of a dark comedy and or black comedy, and yeah, it is. There's there's some funny parts in it. If you're looking for a bunch of action, or you know, this isn't the movie for you, but it's still pretty thrilling. There's okay. a, some suspense, but uh, it gets pretty philosophical, especially towards the end. Um, so it's a lot to think about, a lot to unwrap. So I put it at number ten. I had if Beale Street could talk at number ten, bumped it. So I bumped it in favor of this. But I think this one could move up my list farther. I'll okay. have to watch it a couple more times. We'll see. Sounds like a good one. Now, what is your number 10? What are your 10th number, favorite movie of 2018? Number 10. Uh, Similar to you. Oh, Beale Street got the bump. <laughs> Beale Street got the bump. <laughs> because of uh, my number 10. So my number 10 is actually a documentary. It's Won't You Be My Neighbor. Ooh. You seen this one? Not yet. No. I've been dreading watching it because I'm probably going to fucking start crying halfway through. So Sam and I watched this <laughs> on a flight. Uh, That's not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll get you. <laughs> so I didn't go to Sam, see it in the theater Sam, for that reason. I don't know for sure if she cried or not, but um, she was pretty damn close. Yeah. Uh, and... I can agree. It it it's pretty gripping movie. So, won't you be my neighbor? 
is an exploration of the life, lessons, and legacy of iconic children's TV host Fred Rogers. So it was directed by Morgan Neville. Naturally, because it's a documentary, it stars Fred Rogers and then various interviews with Joanne Rogers, John Rogers, um, basically all different people that he worked with or knew him throughout his life. Uh, This movie made my list because it's one of the best documentaries I've seen in a long time. I love documentaries, but Mm it 100%, (laughs) if you ever watched Mr. Rogers growing up, I mean, at all or know about it and stuff, it's super interesting. I mean, even just how he came to create the show and everything he did to fight for it, there's a really good scene um, where they actually, they show the whole Senate speech. So he... He testified before Congress trying to secure funding for PBS. Yeah. And I've seen, I've seen that, you've seen that, that clip that? on YouTube. Yeah. And I mean, in the movie, they show his entire speech. And the senator, who is very against, you know, giving government funding for TV and that type of thing, like that, Senator Pastor, I think his name was, like he's a hard ass and he's mean. Mm-hmm. And then literally, Fred Rogers gives this speech and he's super just. You know, he's calm, he's got kind of a soft voice, and he's talking about kids and things like that. And instantly the guy's like, it's wonderful. <laughs> he goes, you got your money. <laughs> like, they play the entire thing. I have never seen that entire speech before. I didn't really even know that story. And that entire thing, you're like, you don't know where his speech is going because they talk about Fred Rogers, like, beforehand, even – uh Oh, he was nervous. He was nervous to talk in front of Congress. He didn't do that. Like, he, he was just nervous to do it, and he fucking kills it. Like, mm-hmm. he, he gives such a good, passionate speech, and, like, he doesn't raise his voice. He talks like he talks on the show, and instantly the guy's like, it's great. <laughs> He's like, uh, but, yeah, the documentary is excellent. Um, I, I thought about the documentary a lot afterwards. Also, I think it's important to watch, especially with the new Tom Hanks movie coming out this year, where, you know, he portrays fred rogers in uh won't you be my neighbor i think is the name yep. of the movie so i think it is good to watch this in advance of that just to kind of get the real life story of it so yeah this is my number 10 and it sat with me way more than beale street did I'm sure we'll go over honorable mentions later mm-hmm. but uh yeah so it's my 10 banger surprise both of our number 10s got bumped or we had the same number 10 that was bumped. that got bumped yep yeah. <clears throat> what is your Nine My there. number nine is Vox Lux. Heard of Vox Lux? <laughs> mm, I want to say yes, but <laughs> I, I don't know. Directed by Brady Corbet. Corbett? I would guess Corbet. Starring Natalie Portman, Willem Dafoe, Jude Law, Christopher Abbott, Jennifer L., uh, Rafi Cassidy who you would know from, oh, wait, you wouldn't know her because you haven't seen The Killing of a Sacred Deer yet. No. She's in that. Uh, Stacy Martin, uh, she was in Nymphomaniac. You haven't seen that either, right? I watched that either. Michael Richardson, uh, Maria Dezia. Kramer? (laughs) Kramer's getting some love? I said Michael Richardson. No, Michael Richards. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the storyline 
An unusual set of circumstances brings unexpected success to a pop star. Natalie Portman is the pop star, and Raffi Cassidy plays the younger version of her, you know, when she's a kid. Mm-hmm. She comes to prominence as a teenager because of some event. I don't even know if it's a spoiler. It's something that happens in the first five minutes of the movie, and you kind of see it coming. And you're like, huh, that's that's in this movie? They're really going to do this, huh? Huh. And then they do it, and you're like, huh. You don't see that in most movies, so I'll just avoid talking about it. But it's some event that catapults her to the national consciousness, so to say, with a song. And from there, she becomes a big pop star. Mm-hmm. And the grown-up version of her, played by Natalie Portman, has a daughter, and Raffi Cassidy plays her daughter. So mm. <laughs> Raffi Cassidy plays young Natalie Portman and her daughter. Huh. Interesting. Jude Law plays her. He's like a Brooklyn manager for her. He's okay. got a Brooklyn accent. Yeah. Walks around with like a Yankee jacket. And Jude Law looked really good. I was pretty impressed with him doing an accent and acting like a sleazy kind of manager. Okay. And uh, so he impressed me quite a bit. Um, this movie is subverts all expectations of what you think it's going to be. From Like I said, it's kind of throws you a curveball in the first five minutes. Like I said, it subverts expectations. And by the end of it, you thought you were going to see one movie and you just saw another. And it ends up being kind of a commentary on on our culture in general, how yeah. we treat celebrities. Okay. What we think of celebrities, what we project on the celebrities, mm-hmm. things like that. So I thought it was very, it was very telling of, I don't know, I guess the current zeitgeist. Okay. So I have seen the cover looking at it. So mm-hmm. I, I've seen yeah, it. But this movie did very poorly at the box office. It kind of okay. came and went. Uh, it was released, I think, just a, a couple weeks after Star is Born. You know, Star is Born had huge staying power. It was number one for a few weeks, and then it was in the top five for like three months or something. Right. So this was kind of like, everyone said it was like, oh, it's like a, you know, like a Star is Born, but not. I everyone thought it was say, just to be I, another one, but it's not. I thought you might this might have been mentioned more often, given the star is born. Yeah. It was good, but hmm. Maybe even been released the same weekend as the star is born. I can't remember, but either way it kinda got glossed over. It got de- I think it's in like the sixties uh, on oh, okay. Rotten Tomatoes. Sure. So it got okay reviews, but that sweet spot. It, it kinda divided people a little right. bit. But uh what was your number nine? My number nine Vice. Ooh. Where's that? Not on my list. Oh. Not even an honorable mention. Really? (laughs) I I think I left it off my honorable mentions. I talked about it on the podcast. I gave it a last resort. I thought the performances are pretty terrific, but I don't know. Tony, it's kind of all over the place. The tone? Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, I was so excited for Vice when I heard about it. Mm -hmm. saw the trailer. I was like, God, I'm going to fucking love this movie. And then I didn't. <laughs> it's like I love I love the big short. Right. I thought it was gonna be a lot yeah. like that, where it's a kind of a a tough subject or a a boring subject like the big short. And it made it exciting as hell, and I thought Vice was it wasn't slow by any means, but it seemed like a '90s Oliver Stone movie where everything was chopped together, where they like they kind of uh, let the audience presume that ooh, Cheney sees an opening here, he's gonna pounce. Like he sees an opening for more power, so he's gonna pounce. And then it cut to like a lion that's about to jump on its prey. Sure. And like, 
Yeah. Oliver Stone did this for like 10 years in the 90s. <laughs> well, he's bringing it back. <laughs> he's bringing it back. All right, continue. So yeah, Vice. Everybody pretty much knows Vice, but a uh, story of Dick Cheney, an unassuming bureaucratic Washington insider who quietly wielded immense power as VP to G.W. Bush, reshaping the country and the globe in the ways that we still feel today. Director and writer Adam McKay stars Christian Bale as Dick Cheney, Amy Adams as Lynn Cheney, Steve Carell, Sam Rockwell, Allison Pill. Those are Jesse okay. Plemons. Jesse Plemons. <laughs> hmm. Uh yeah, those are kinda or Tyler Perry. It's Colin Powell. That's right. Yep. Uh so yeah. Um I I enjoyed Vice a lot. I actually because I went into it thinking and I, I'm one hundred percent kind of over a lot of the political satire just because I'm tired of it. So I actually went into the movie not totally into going. Like I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm, I do want to see it, but I don't know if I want to spend money to go see it type thing. Uh, I enjoyed it more probably because I went in with that mindset. <clears throat> yeah. that I wasn't really ready. I, I didn't really want to watch a movie that was heavily biased to one side. I just didn't want to do it. I assumed the performances were going to be good. And to your point, they were excellent. Granted, Christian Bale, like, the makeup is more impressive than his performance, I would say, simply because he's, mm-hmm. he's at a different standard. So, unfortunately, it's going to be more difficult for him to prove himself, like, even better. Yeah. Because I think it's pretty easy to talk the way he talks. Uh, granted, the makeup was awesome. Uh, How about when he, like, he cocks his mouth to talk yeah, diagonally? Talk, kind of talks out <laughs> like of Like a side. diagonal yeah. smile. Uh, like, how do you doing that with your mouth? <laughs> uh, but I actually enjoyed the choppiness at certain points because it totally caught me off guard. Yeah. Uh, where there's a scene where him and Amy Adams are talking in bed and then it just goes totally where it, it turns into like almost not screwball comedy, but like a pure comedic scene in a movie that I didn't expect it, period. Mm-hmm. I just didn't. I also enjoyed the final scene, which I won't ruin it. Uh, and he talks to the camera in the final scene. He says, so I actually enjoyed a lot of that stuff. So I, I actually enjoyed the movie the more I thought about it. The topic is the topic. I mentioned it earlier, though. At the beginning of the movie, they basically say Dick Cheney is super private. He doesn't talk about his life, doesn't talk about what he's done in his life. Mm-hmm. So they're literally piecing together tons of stories and opinions and views and Adam McKay is more left-leaning, mind you. So from that standpoint, and they're trying to create a story. But they flat out say that in the beginning. They're like, this isn't based on anything because we don't know anything about them. So give us a fucking break type mm-hmm. thing. So I, I liked that they called that out almost like. I did miss the first minute of the movie. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it because it almost said, like, settle the fuck down. If you don't like it, well, this is based on our opinion of him. So. Just enjoy the movie mm-hmm. type thing. So I, I enjoyed the originality of it. I wasn't expecting all that. Um, so yeah, overall, I, I thought it was really good. I haven't bought it. I don't know if it's out yet. I think it's out. Mm, I'm not sure. But um, yeah. I think I might have liked it more had I seen that initial little It made me appreciate it more because, I, like I said, my mindset was like, I know who's directing it. I know the topic. I just don't want to deal with all of it Yeah, because I'm tired of it. Uh so when they that came out, it instantly woke me up, and I was like, "Man, eh, cool. 
<laughs> it's like I enjoy it. I enjoyed the very, very end too. I think it was after the credits. Again, I won't ruin that. But um, so they do play on both sides of the political spectrum too, which I like. Where they're telling the story all from one side, and then in the end they kind of have this all-out thing on both sides of it. So it's mm-hmm. pretty cool. So yeah, my number yeah, nine. I thought uh, I love Steve Carell as Donald Rumsfeld. Yeah, I thought he was the second best yeah. in the movie to. Christian Bale. Amy Adams did good. Yeah. Sam Sam Rockwell, he did a good W. But nothing. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, and I'm like, he wasn't in it that much. Yeah, he was hardly in it. <laughs> I was like, his bush was okay. I thought the funniest was part say, when he was drunk at that like party huge... and he's knocking over shit. Right, and I was like, <laughs> well, that's why I was like, well, he's funny, but he's Sam Rockwell. Like, he can do that, that yeah. southern type of voice or whatever. But, uh, See, yeah. he, he won last year for three billboards. That character is a major piece of that movie. Right. And Bush isn't really in Vice all that much. No. He's like, he's barely in there. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, that's my number yeah. nine. I didn't dislike I'd watch it again. Mm-hmm. But uh, my number eight, Hereditary. On your list? No? Mm. You seen Hereditary? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised. You and, you and Sam usually jump all over the new horror movies. The new hotness. Hot. So Hereditary was directed by Ari Aster, starring Tony Collette, Millie Shapiro, Gabriel Byrne, Alex Wolf, Christy Summerhays, Morgan Lund, Mallory Bechtel, Jake Brown. Storyline. After the family matriarch passes away, a grieving family is haunted by tragic and disturbing occurrences and begin to unravel dark secrets. So I thought Tony Collette probably could have been nominated for Best Actress. Um, I forget all the nominees right now, but I'm pretty sure she should have been one of them. But uh, performance is pretty good all around. There's this newcomer, uh, Millie Shapiro, plays the young girl, Tony Collette's daughter. Um, she was the one that they kind of used heavily in the trailers and the marketing for the movie. Mm-hmm. Here's this weird-looking little kid. <laughs> Come watch this horror movie. <laughs> but it's a lot more than that, of course. Um, you know, you don't see Gabriel burning too much. Like, he pops up uh, once every five, ten years. You're like, oh, there's Gabriel Byrne. It's like Miller's Crossing, The Unusual Suspects, and then was it End of Days? Yeah, yeah. He pops up just every once in a while. Usual suspects. <laughs> great visuals. A lot of great special effects. Things look pretty terrific And how they did everything. There's certain shots that are hard to get, but they frame it kind of perfectly. Like the CGI or the tricks they would have to use, like um, I guess like cables okay. to hold people. Everything's done pretty seamlessly. Okay. And especially towards the end, uh, well, there, there's a what the fuck moment, and you're not going to see it coming. Even by saying this right now, you're just not going to see it coming. Yeah. Like, Wait a second. <laughs> Longer. Two yep. hours, hour, seven minutes, it says? Yep. Okay. Um, Pretty great scares. Um, Very unsettling. I mean, there's not too much I can say about it without ruining it, be, it being a horror movie, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought all around it was pretty terrific. One of the, I think it's the top horror movie on my list, basically. Okay. Well, I don't know, debatable, but. (laughs) 
like comparing it to the witch i probably like the witch slightly more but they're pretty close did they use a lot of natural light i'm just seeing looking at still images uh they did some of it was okay all right but yeah if you're close to the witch it means you're pretty fucking good right yeah i'll see it (laughs) i fucking love the witch (laughs) all right what's your number what eight is that what we're on yeah uh, so my number eight is Searching. You seen Searching? I've not. We haven't had crossover yet. I know. Uh, so Searching. After a 16-year-old daughter goes missing, a desperate father breaks into her laptop to look for clues to find her. Director and writer Anish. I'm gonna butcher it. Chaganti. 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 Uh, Chaganti. <laughs> It stars John Chow, Deborah Messing, Joseph Lee, um, Sarah Son. A lot of people that are kind of unknown outside of Deborah Messing and John Chow. Uh, so Searching is a movie that I actually have thought of that would be interesting to make. I mentioned it to you. Slightly different concept. But... um using strictly technology to basically hold dialogue throughout the entire movie. So mm-hmm. searching take the view of searching takes place all through either video chat, text messaging, Facebook, things like that for the entire time. It's an hour and 40 minute movie, but literally the entire conversations that are taking place, um the search and things like that. So his daughter goes missing. But it's first found like you for the movie first pops up and it's just the picture of a Mac screen. That's how the mm-hmm. movie starts. And then you see a video call happening and then it's John Chow and his daughter talking to each other. And then like the computer goes to sleep and then it wakes up later and then his phone's going off in the middle of the night. So literally that's how the entire hour and 40 minutes goes. And I was like. This could get kind of old. Like, yeah, there isn't much yeah. you can do with it, but they literally take different technology to just show you how much you can hold the entire time. Mm-hmm. So even like they set up, they set up uh, internet connected cameras in a home, and then that's how they start leveraging how you how people are talking in the house and shit like that. Uh, I thought it was a pretty innovative way to do an entire movie. The story itself, I would say, some of the acting's like Deborah Messing. She's okay being funny and like Will and Grace, that those type of stuff. I actually am not a big fan of hers acting wise. She did okay in this. Uh, John Chow, it was cool to see him in a more serious role than yeah. kind of the Harold and Kumar and the funny shit. Cause he did, I thought he did a really good job. But the reason I liked, liked the movie so much and I bumped it to eight is the originality and just how it was made. I thought it was super impressive how they made the entire movie and how seamless it kind of flowed. Plus, I enjoy people seeing how much information and shit you can learn about somebody strictly based off all their devices and crap going on, which the movie highlights a big time when he's just mm-hmm. searching. At one point, he's trying to like pinpoint where his daughter was, and you're literally watching him go to Facebook, can't get into her Facebook, how he hacks her password to get in. Like, There's things in there that 
it's very applicable to how you could just do shit today. I thought it was super interesting to kind of watch it. And that was probably more just because that stuff interests me. But, um, yeah, I thought overall the movie's really good. It's probably perfect length for the topic, too. But Okay. Searching. Cool beans. We haven't had any crossover yet. No, I'm not going to lie. Looking at my list, I know a handful aren't going to be on yours. Yeah. I don't think this is going to be on your list either. Yeah, I know you've seen it and liked it, but you probably forgot about it. My number seven is A Feudal and Stupid Gesture, directed by David Wayne. I did forget about that one. <laughs> well, <laughs> not that it necessarily had to make your list, but that was released on Netflix in like January mm-hmm. 2018. So it was a okay. very early 2018 movie. Because we watched it that, uh, I think I showed it to you in that Vikings drinking night. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That was like a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so starring Martin Mull, David Wayne, Domhnall Gleeson, Will Forte, uh, Ben F. Campbell, Camille Gotti, Carla Gallo, Matt Walsh, David Krummeltz, Thomas Lennon, Matt Lucas, Carrie Kinney, Natasha Leone. Did I say Joel McHale? Did know that it did. Ed Helms, John Daly, Seth Green. Pretty great cast. Storyline In the 1970s and 80s, National Lampoon's success and influence creates a new media empire overseen in part by the brilliant and troubled Douglas Kenny. So I grew up liking National Lampoon. I mm-hmm. obviously loved Animal House and didn't really know the influence it had on Caddyshack. And nor did I really get the influence that had on Saturday Night Live. You know, who came from it? Because basically everyone that came from Saturday Night Live came from National Lampoon. Yeah. I didn't really read the magazine either. I never did. I, mean, I was born in 86. So, I mean, they were still making it at the time, but obviously I probably wouldn't have been old enough to even get one until the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. Or early 90s at least. Uh, but I think I'd seen like some friends or something had a few issues because I thought I remembered seeing the dog with the, the gun to the dog's head issue. I can't remember. But there's certain things in the movie where I'm like, oh, I think I remember that. I remember that. Of course, he always knew National Lampoons because he knew Vacation. He knew the Vacation movies. He always knew what Van Wilder. Yep. Yep. Even the shitty ones. Yep. <laughs> the straight to DVDs. I kind of found out that they, they, pretty much, they sold the rights to, for the National Lampoon name for movies. In the early 90s or mid 90s? Hmm. It was sometime when they were going through financial troubles and trying to basically needed the money. And so, like, okay, we'll give you the licensing for you know, National Lampoons. And so people started churning out all these shitty comedies with the National Lampoon name mm-hmm. to try and make money off of it. So they kind of kind of hurt, I guess, the name a little bit in terms of like now, if a National Lampoon movie came out now, you'd be like, <laughs> Not watching that. Right. <laughs> but in the 80s, be like, hell yeah. Right. But I, th- I found it to be a fascinating story on kind of the birth of National Lampoon. It was, uh, started at actually at the Harvard Lampoon. Basically, two Harvard um, graduates just kind of kept it going. Made the National Lampoon. So it's very interesting and to me how they kind of got the magazine going and started the radio show. And then how everything kind of exploded 
you know, they went into movies. And Douglas Kenny, that's, I mean, you recognize him from Animal House, but he only has one line in the movie. And he had no idea that he co-wrote that mm-hmm. and started National Lampoon along with Domino Gleason's character. And that he also co-wrote Caddyshack and produced Caddyshack. He didn't know all the stuff that was going to be on the scene. So it was pretty fun seeing that. And I thought it was hilarious. Um, decent soundtrack, very fast paced. I liked a lot of the comedy, the very snappy dialogue. Yeah. A lot, a lot of the jokes you miss because you're laughing from the previous joke, I found. Mm-hmm. That was pretty um, funny from what I recall. Will Forte was terrific as Douglas Kenny and Domino Gleason was uh, really funny as well. Joel McHale kind of the, was. Kind of the end was a gang and. Yeah, I love Joel. I thought Joel McHale's Chevy Chase. Such a good Chevy Chase. <laughs> Some of the impressions in there of the famous people were kind of, I wouldn't say lacking, but some of them just, like Seth Green was Christopher Guest. And in the one scene where he was Christopher Guest, he was hilarious, but he's only in the one scene. He only had a, like a line or two. Mm-hmm. And they see him at the end for a second. You kind of wanted to see more of those characters like hey add another 20 minutes on and let's get right. some more <laughs> let's get some more impressions here but get some deleted scenes yeah uh but yeah joel McHale really did he didn't steal the show but it was fascinating learning about the dynamic between um, himself and doug kenny probably learned how to do chevy chase impressions on community yeah <laughs> probably yeah but uh yeah that was my number seven good pick what is your i did forget seven? about that one uh my number seven is mid nineties. Haven't seen it yet. You haven't seen it? No. No, I should have brought it over for you. Uh mid nineties. So the story follows Stevie, the thirteen year old in nineteen nineties era LA, who spends the summer navigating between his troubled home life and a group of new friends that he meets at a Motor Avenue skate shop. Director and writer Jonah Hill uh, stars Sonny Suljic as Stevie, uh, Catherine Waterston, Lucas Hedges as Stevie's older brother Ian, uh, and he is fucking excellent here as a douchebag older brother. Uh, in Wakatonka, Minnesota with Uncle Don. Minnetonka, <laughs> Minnesota. Minnetonka, Minnesota. Same difference. <laughs> fucking Lucas Hedges. He's in everything these days. Yeah. Uh, and he does kill it in here. It's just a douchebag older brother. <laughs> uh, it's basically this white kid who tries to act all gangster, which is fitting for mid-90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, mid-90s is... <clears throat> the soundtrack is excellent, which I was hoping. Yeah. A lot of a lot of 90s rap. You know, a lot of <laughs> Wu-Tang going on. Uh, but the story itself is super... Jonah Hill does a great job of following the Stevie uh Sonny Suljic he's a pre- he's a pretty good actor for a young kid um but it does i would say as somebody grew up in the 90s and likes kind of that culture and the era especially the music and stuff like that but especially as a man like and as a boy growing up in the 90s like you'll you'll appreciate stuff i wasn't a skater kid or anything like that but yeah it's kind of a coming of age style movie. Granted, I mean the whole movie takes place, I think, really over a summer, but you kind of get connected with Stevie a lot, and his older brother is just a douchebag. But Lucas Hedges does a great job of playing him, beating up on Stevie and shit like that. Um, 
it's a short movie. I mean, it's under an hour and a half, um, hmm. but it's, I don't know. It's a hell, I would say it's a pretty damn good debut for Jonah Hill as a director and writer. So That's what I hear. Yep. Mid-90s, solid flick. Yeah, that's one of the few movies I really wanted to see that I think could make my list, along with uh, Sorry to Bother You. That's what it's called, right? Sorry, Sorry to, bother. to Bother You. Yep. And that's an honorable mention. I saw that one. Okay. That was... And then... Uh, what was the other one I was thinking of? Um, oh, eighth grade. I haven't seen eighth grade either. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. Mid nineties. I compare it slightly to different style completely, but I would say like young men and friends style thing. I compared it to everybody wants some. That was last okay uh, year before or yeah. whatever when that came out. So I'd say as like if you're into those kind of like male bonding style movies, trying to find your way type thing like that. It fits right in that same vein, just different style, kind of on how it's told. But uh, yeah, very good movie. All right, my number six. I think we might have our first crossover here. Right, row. The favorite. It's my number one. It is. <laughs> Damn. All right, I'll let Dude. you take it. Dude, <laughs> the favorite was your favorite. Favorite was baller. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking loved the favorite. Uh, so the favorite in early 18th century England, a frail queen Anne occupies the throne of her close friend, Lady Sarah, governs the country in her steed. When a new servant Abigail arrives, her charm endears her to Sarah. Director Yorgos Lanthimos, writers Deborah Davis, Tony McNamara, stars Olivia Coleman, Rachel Wise. Emma Delves, Faye Daveney, Emma Stone, amongst others. Uh, the favorite, I guess, from all the movies I saw, especially the best picture. Can, this is the one that I want to win best picture, I would say, all the, out of all of them. Uh, I thought the favorite, it's, it's funny. Uh, there are shitloads of shots that it's just natural light. I remember mm-hmm. that. I, I don't know. I'm I, I'm a big fan of the natural light. Anytime you can use that, I'd, I I I don't know. It just adds to the scene a lot if you can just leverage natural light to kind of illuminate stuff. But do you watch Barry Lyndon and just beat off? I've never seen Barry Lyndon. <laughs> what? You can borrow it if you want. Ah, hundred percent natural light. <laughs> but the favorite is fucking baller. Uh, Emma Stone's good. She's funny. She's ruthless. Uh, Rachel Wise character. Olivia Coleman though I thought was probably she's probably did the best job out of all of them in my opinion uh I I don't know her I don't know if you know who she was I didn't before the movie no she was the lesser known out of the three women in the film yeah uh and I thought her character as kind of what was she the queen lady sarah she I don't know I thought she just killed it because she's so super emotional all the time I don't know, I don't want to ruin too much, but uh, I don't know. I, th- I I thought from start to finish it was just it was excellent, and it wasn't super long either. It was under two hours, Um, again, period piece, but it was also cool to see a full female cast being funny, fucking ruthless, mean as hell. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty diabolical. Super with the, with the diabolical. Scheming. Yeah, where you're like, <laughs> holy shit. Uh, and it, it seems, I don't know if it's based off anything, but it seems super original. Yeah. Which, so I enjoyed the story. Like, all of it just fit together. And I think they did chapters. 
during it, so you're watching, and then it's like chapter two. They give it for yeah, some I, reason. I if you say... do that right, I, I it, it does add to it. Like it's Pulp Fiction, like that style where you're doing the chapters. If you're doing it right, it just it does make me. I enjoy that. Hey, Thoroughbreds is chapters. Yeah, chapter one goes to four. Yeah, like I, I love that. I, I think that's just a cool element to add to film too. So um, yeah, I thought overall it was it was my favorite movie. Well, I don't know if it's my favorite movie of last year, but it, it I thought it was the best film holistically of yeah. last year, too. Your favorite combined with how good the movie was. Yeah, your, everything. Your like liking it, of the movie combined with how good it was. Yep. And I'm not and I'm not always big into period pieces. Yeah. This was a more original period piece with the comedy and everything, but um no, yeah, I loved it. It definitely kept my attention watching it. I would say it's probably Lanthimos's uh most accessible movie mm-hmm. for general audiences. Yeah. I know you haven't seen Sacred Deer yet, but No, but looking at his movies, I was yeah, I would say it's most mainstream. The lobster and you're like, well this is I love the lobster yeah. too. Yep. You're like, well more people would probably like this than the lobster. Yeah. <laughs> and I fucking feeling of a love Sacred the Deer. Lobster. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was pretty original as well. Obviously great performances. It was just kind of like well there isn't too much you can really ding this movie on it you know it checks all the boxes mm-hmm. it's got pretty much everything going for it i don't know i guess the only reason it didn't rank higher on my list is i like five movies better <laughs> 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 um i didn't find it maybe to be as rewatchable as i thought it would be it was another, another one like this movie and vice i thought were gonna be like my two favorite movies of the year okay so I was kind of expecting it to be that way, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I can't really knock it for anything. It's another movie where I could definitely see myself moving it up the list as soon as I see it again. Yeah. Nope. But we'll see. Okay. So wait, let's go to your number six. Six. So my number six, The Star is Born. My number two. Oh, all right. I'll let you do the honors. So, Star is Born, directed by Bradley Cooper. And this is the fourth iteration of A Star is Born. Brett uh, reviewed the first one from 37 in the podcast last episode. My mom was a big fan of... uh, Streisand and Christopherson, right? Yep, yep. Uh, I guess this Saturday on TCM, they're showing the first two Star is Borns. And then I was at FYE the other day uh, to get Thoroughbreds. And they had uh, the Christopherson Streisand one there on DVD. Oh, okay. Blu ray, but hmm. I almost snatched it. I was like, eh. <laughs> I'll wait for Comcast. But uh, stars Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper, Sam Elliott, uh, Greg Gunberg, Andrew Dice Clay, Dave Chappelle, Rafi Gavron, Anthony Ramos, Alec Baldwin. I forgot he was in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot he was. Marlon Williams, among many others. Sam Elliott, did you say him? Yep. Okay. Storyline is a, a musician helps a young singer find fame, even as age and alcoholism send his own career into a downward spiral. I was very impressed by the performances in here, both by Lady Gaga and Cooper. Cooper probably more so because I didn't know he could sing like that or you know be a musician because he's doing all his own music and I thought it was fantastic. And that's not even really my, you know, it's not my favorite genre. It's mm-hmm. kind of a country rock 
Kind of like I a guess Dave, it's like a mix. A little bit of like a Pearl Jam style is how I thought of them. Yeah, maybe a little more country, I would yeah. say, than Pearl Jam. But yeah, pretty similar. Yeah. He seems like he is more of a rock star than like a country rock star. He's yeah. just like yep. just a rock star. Yeah. But he has a lot more acoustic guitar songs and seems like his lyrics are a little more country in some songs. But regardless, I thought he knocked it out of the park. Uh, directorial debut, he's singing. Not to say that he had the best voice, but. It's good enough. It's, it's pretty damn good. Yeah. Songs are great. And uh, Lady Gaga, I haven't seen her in much, but uh, she was great. You know, I forgot it was Lady Gaga. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because she wasn't wearing weird shell over her face and weird Probably. hair and makeup. And, yeah. yeah. That persona kind of, it doesn't take away. It just, you know, it, if you don't see that, then you're like, oh, this is just a mm-hmm. regular actress. Yeah. A unique, original character. Obviously, she's a great singer. Terrific voice. Uh, I thought she had great s- songs, great soundtrack. All the music was terrific. Mm-hmm. Shallow killed it. Yep. It's a great song. I saw that there was a... Kelly Clarkson did a cover of Shallow. I guess she knocked it out of the park or something like that the hmm. other day. I was like, why are we covering songs that are like four months old? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Show that range. Did you like Lady Gaga and The Star is Born? Wait till you hear Kelly Clarkson do it. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure she's good, but it's like we should probably wait a little while before you cover it. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they were talking about the movie and mm-hmm. like, hey, how about to cover this? I don't know how, what the fucking setup was, but yeah. it just seemed weird to me that they were covering a such a new song. Probably just because it's so, uh, um, it's pretty emotional and a yeah. lot of range, shit like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure there's a lot of artists that are like, I want to sing that. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe she probably just wanted to try and try it. Sam Elliott, I thought this was the best performance of his career. I really hope he wins the Oscar. Have you seen Roadhouse? <laughs> <laughs> killed it. Uh, killed it. Well, Him he and did Swayze kill <laughs> killed it. Um, yeah, he was pretty good. I love Sam Elliott. Um, and he... He did a good job in here. Uh, Dave Chappelle was the more surprised. He was the one who I saw in the previews, and I was like, fuck, I can't wait till he shows up. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's like a minute long, yeah. it, it's worth it because I fucking love Dave Chappelle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really, really enjoyed his part as just like just like the serious friend. Yeah, not saying, like, really get that shit funny. Together, man. Just... Yeah, just like worried about you get your shit together. Mm-hmm. Like I really enjoyed the scenes with him, like sitting on the step and then inside the house. Like, yeah, I thought that was cool to see him in a movie. Yeah, I thought it was a great love story and I don't always gravitate towards love stories, but I guess when they're done well or mm-hmm. maybe when you fall in love with the characters, then you can fall in love with the story. Maybe that's Maybe that's the trick. Yeah. But I don't know. This movie worked for me. Yeah. Only reason I knocked it back is because it's been the fourth remake of the movie. It's the third remake. Or is it three? I thought there was There's four total, but the first one oh, wasn't I thought a remake. There's three ahead of it. Uh, oh, this is the, the, only this reason is the why fourth I one. It back. Um, so it's technically the third remake, I guess. Yeah. Since there's four total. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. It was. Pretty excellent movie. Drop today. You can go out and buy it today. Ooh. 
Uh, my mom loved the one with Barbara Streisand and yep. Christopherson. She went to this movie alone because she was so amped up about it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I, Did she like it? Oh, yeah. She fucking plays the shallow song all the time. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> he fucking kills in there. He's solid, too. He is so good as her dad. <laughs> uh, Dice. Yeah. A lot of things lately. Yeah. Dice has been doing some acting. But Yeah, good flick. All right. I guess we'll get to my number five, which you're probably going to get pissed off at me now that I have this movie at five and the favorite at six. My number five, Mission Impossible Fallout. Number five? Number five. Yikes. (laughs) All right. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) So this is directed by Christopher McQuarrie, starring Tom Cruise, Henry Cavill, Ving Rhames, Simon Pegg, Rebecca Ferguson, Sean Harris, Angela Bassett, Vanessa Kirby, Michelle Monaghan, Wes Bentley. You know, you know Wes Bentley. It's <laughs> a guy cool name. You, you know Wes Bentley, American Beauty, creepy neighbor kid. Oh, okay, that's Wes Bentley. Sure. Uh, Alec Baldwin, another Baldwin flick. Yep. Um, Ethan Hunt and his MIF team, along with some familiar allies, race against time after a mission gone wrong. So this was hands down the best action movie since Fury Road. And that's kind of the main reason I included on this list. I mean, I enjoyed the hell out of it, but that's kind of besides the point when it's you know an action movie. There's a certain stigma, you know, well, it's an action movie. Shouldn't be held in as high a regard, that type of thing. But I don't think we did top ten lists. When Fury Road came out, that was like four years ago now almost. No. I think it was like 2015. I think so. And I'm sure Fury Road would have made my top five whatever year it came out. I yeah. wanted it to win Best Picture that year, I think. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree, I, I'd agree with that. Pretty close uh, to top 20, three. 2015, it says, came out. Yep. Uh, I agree with that, yeah. And there's so many practical effects in here, and the stunts, they they seem to outdo themselves every time, every Mission Impossible movie that comes out, at least the past few. I mean, Mission Impossible 2 was such a low point in the franchise, and they didn't do another one for six years or... Something like that. And then J.J. Abrams did Mission Impossible 3, which was pretty sweet. Get Philip Seymour Hoffman as a cool villain. Mm-hmm. And then it was on kind of another hiatus for a while. And then Ghost Protocol comes out. Solid entry. Oh, I think and that's then, the last one I've seen. Yeah, Christopher McQuarrie came in for the fifth one, Rogue Nation. Yeah, I never saw that. And he was the first director to do two Mission Impossibles. So they're very much connected in terms of storyline and the characters. Five and six go together. You can't really watch six without seeing five versus the other ones. You could just watch any of them. Mm-hmm. They were kind of like a James Bond movie where you're just like, well, every story's different. There aren't really sequels. You can just watch whatever fucking one you want and not be lost. And not that we would be lost seeing six, but uh, McQuarrie, you know, he wrote. Uh, Usual Suspects. Um, he directed, I think his directorial debut was The Way of the Gun. Remember The Way of the Gun? Yep. Oh, yeah. It's a pretty fun movie. Mm-hmm. But he's done bigger and better things since then, and I think he's just really kind of hitting his peak right now. Uh, he just signed on to do Mission Impossible 7 and 8 
they're going to film them back to back and release them in 2021 and 2022. Oh, okay. And God, he didn't Tom even want Cruise is just Yeah. <laughs> you can believe hey, you can have your views on his own personal life, but mm-hmm. as an actor, it, I don't know. He gives it his he's all. He's a fucking stud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that dude, he's a badass. <laughs> It's like he just broke his, you know, ankle on the newest Mission Impossible. He's like, all right, let's go do seven and eight. The stuff that he does in Fallout is incredible. He flies a helicopter. Mm-hmm. He learned to fly a helicopter in real life. <laughs> yeah, guy's he, impressive. I mean, he got his license after like a year, and then he spent another year just practicing for this movie. All right, Scientology. I'm telling you, where it's at. Look <laughs> <laughs> at the hookups. He's clear. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the set pieces are phenomenal. It's a lot of fun. Some good comedy in it. You probably get to examine Ethan Hunt as a character more in this one than any of the other ones, mm-hmm. I would say. Okay. So it's a little, slightly more in-depth than just a popcorn action movie. But, and I can't really knock it for anything. Just a fun movie with amazing action. Hmm. Awesome stunts. And it's the best action movie I've seen since Fury Road. So got to put on my list. Nice. What's your number five? My number five. I thought this might make your list, but at this point, I don't think it is. My number five is Halloween. It's close. It's honorable mention. Yeah, I thought maybe you'd add it. Uh, I thought I was going to put it on the back end of the list, but. So no, Halloween. Pissing me off with the sequels that they're going to make now. Well, th- don't worry about the sequels. <laughs> uh, Halloween was 2018's, it was my worst movie going experience of 2018, possibly in the last like five years. Mm-hmm. And I still love the movie. Yeah. Uh, it was it was my worst movie going experience of the year, maybe ever as well. People next to me wouldn't shut the fuck up. They're on their phones constantly, texting on Facebook, talking to each other. Were your, the entire movie. Were your, did your people bring in Chinese food that included, <laughs> no. that included uh, chicken on the bone, which they would suck the bones, <laughs> and then they were talking to each other? <laughs> no. It's the first time in probably a couple of years that I had to turn and say, can you be quiet? <laughs> uh, uh, anyways, Halloween, so the story. Laurie Strode confronts her longtime foe, Michael Myers, the masked figure who has haunted her since she narrowly escaped his killing spree on Halloween night four decades ago. Directed by David Gordon Green, uh, Danny McBride, and Jeff Fradley wrote it. Stars Jamie Lee Curtis, Judy Greer, Andy Matinchek, James Jude Courtney, Nick Castle, Will Patton, amongst others. Uh, I, contrary to the experience I had at the theater, which I was absolutely in a period where I almost never wanted to go to the fucking movies unless it was like a weekday 9 a.m. movie to avoid all people was possible because I've had so many bad experiences in the past two couple of years at the yeah. theater. Uh, I absolutely loved Halloween. I love the original movie. So I was critical of when it was coming out. I I was I was super excited seeing Danny McBride attached to it because I like him a lot. Um, bringing Jamie Lee Curtis back, I was a little curious what that was going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything I heard leading up to it was like it was going to be good, and I definitely lived up to it. Um, I thought it was original enough 
but it still paid homage to the original. There was a lot of scenes that they played off of that were similar to the original movie. Mm -hmm. They used the original score in the opening, too. Well, revamped. Or revamped or whatever, Mm -hmm. but which I fucking loved. It was revamped by Carpenter, so it's not like you can complain that it was revamped. Right. (laughs) Right. yeah, I just thought from start to finish it was excellent. I loved, I liked the ending a lot too. I won't spoil it, but yeah, I, I thought it was great. Uh, Halloween has gone through a phase ever since. I liked H two O, but really, I mean, the whole Halloween series. It was like the first one was good. I liked the second one, even though it got dog like critics hated it. And then pretty much like the third has the cult following, but outside mm-hmm. of that. There's a randomness, and then Paul Rudd pops up in like the sixth one. Yeah, four, five, six. I don't really care for it, nah. but it's it's fun to watch Michael Myers it's pull over for like smokes. A, yeah, like if you if you enjoy, I also enjoy watching the different looks of Michael Myers because mm-hmm. in those shitty ones, like he looks shitty. Like it <laughs> yeah. looks like it just like they they cut costs on his. Donald costume. Pleasance looks worse and worse each. Terrible. One. Like so, it is fun to watch even the evolution of it, especially if you just love the. Michael Myers, and you love the the whole series. Mm-hmm. I liked H two O a lot. Um, yeah, me too. Resurrection sucked. Yep. So I was slightly nervous to see what exactly they were going to do with this, and but I, I think it absolutely paid off. Now you're talking about sequels. The way it ends, you could tell they're probably going to do some sequels. I wish they wouldn't. I, I I mean, I guess I'd be okay with it depending on how it goes, but I don't know. I don't need more sequels. I guess. Yeah. But um. Regardless, the movie by itself, um, I thought it definitely kind of made up for all the shitty ones, especially in between H2O and this uh, yeah. resurrection. So, yeah. Love me some Halloween. All right. We have four. Red four. My number four is Annihilation. Never Seen saw it? it. Nope. It, it Alex on. Garland's new joint? It was on my list of movies I was trying to get to before this. Yeah. <laughs> Directed by Alex Garland, as I said, also written by him. Starring Natalie Portman. It's two Nat Ports on my list. Uh, porties. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer Jason Lee, Tessa Thompson, Benedict Wong, uh, Sonoya Mizuno, David Jazzy, Oscar Isaac, Gina Rodriguez, uh, Tuva Novotny. Storyline. Uh, a biologist signs up for a dangerous secret expedition into a mysterious zone where the laws of nature don't apply. So I guess the setup to the movie is Natalie Portman's husband is Oscar Isaac and he's in the military and he has to go away for a deployment or a mission. It's kind of vague, but doesn't come back and he's presumed dead and all of a sudden a year has passed and then he shows up acting very strange. And he's having medical issues. And he and her both get quarantined. And she finds out that he was took a mission into something called the Shimmer. And that's where something seems to be otherworldly crashed into Earth somewhere. And there's a, not a sphere, but a, think of it like a blob. Look, at, it's like mm. a force field. It's clear, but you can see like a... Um, Almost like a refraction or like when you see a bubble, it's multicolored. Yeah. So you kind of see that and it's getting bigger and bigger. And basically what goes into the shimmer doesn't come out except for very few things like Oscar Isaac, of course. (laughs) (laughs) 
So she and a team of other women are sent in to investigate. And they're not obviously not the first team to go in. So um, I won't say too much more than that, but it's heavy into the sci-fi of things I just mentioned, but it's kind of a, more of a action thriller as well. But um, it gives you a lot to think about. Um, one of those movies where you watch it and you can think this happened or this happened, and then there's a flip side to that coin and almost the opposite could have happened. Mm-hmm. Works on, on more than one level and also has more than one possible outcome. So that's a lot to think about. I guess it's a movie that's rewarding to, I guess, people willing to you know give it their time. Mm-hmm. One of the more interesting, the story in the trailer, I guess, made me want to see. I haven't seen it, but mm-hmm. everything you're describing, it seemed like it was one of the more interesting stories that came yeah. out last year. But I thought it looks like a good movie. I mean, performances are pretty good, but that's not what stands out. I'd say no. it's probably more of the visuals and the, I don't know, I guess kind of the questions it asks. Sure. Is it like Arrival, kind of? For some reason, I got an Arrival uh, feel off it. Like, it's sci-fi, but it makes you think about stuff. Yeah, it's still pretty different than Arrival. Okay. Because Arrival is much more of a slow burn, I'd yeah. say. Yeah. Yeah, this is more this. intense. Yeah, more okay. intense, and there isn't really action in Arrival. Not no. that this is action packed, but there's some pretty, there's some fucked up scenes in there. Okay. So yeah, it, it has a horror element as well. Sci-fi action horror thriller. So yeah, this is my number four. Alrighty, my number four. You're big. You're a big fan of this one, Black Klansman. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I still like it. Yeah. It's just kind of like, you know, you, I was so fascinated by how true I thought the story was. Uh, like, you know, Spike Lee's what, not going to bullshit me. <laughs> up until our discussion earlier, um, which I'll have to read that article, uh, that's mainly why, that's one of the big reasons why I got bumped so far up. Mm-hmm. I mean, the acting's great in it. Uh, yeah, I still, I love John David Washington in it. He's such a good actor yeah. in it. Um, and it's cool that he's Denzel's son, like, mm-hmm. I, and he's in a Spike Lee movie. Like, that did add it to me, yeah. add a little bit to it. He obviously stands on his own. He does a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam Driver, he does an excellent job. He's really surged in the past, I don't know how many years. <laughs> Fucking Adam Driver's in tons of shit. He does a great job in all of it. Um, Alec Baldwin's also in this. We've mentioned his name, like, fucking four times. <laughs> <laughs> um Topher Grace is yeah, he's, he's an actor that I I I I've liked Topher Grace since that 70s show and I feel like he hasn't always got his due but for some reasons I'm like yeah I can see why not but like he was in um uh fuck what's the uh, Ocean's 11 No <laughs> <laughs> He is in one scene Uh Christopher Nolan movie where they go to space Oh, yeah, uh, Interstellar. Interstellar. Like, mm-hmm. he had a small part in that. I don't know. I like Topher Grace for some reason. Not sure, even sure why. But uh, he does a good job in this. Um, story's super interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Plus, it took place in Colorado Springs. So, <laughs> gotta shout out. Colorado Springs. <laughs> Your birthplace. <laughs> I can't, can't name many movies based in Colorado Springs. Uh, How old were you when you moved away? Eight. You moved... 
over here? Eight. Yeah. Okay. But, um, yeah, I don't think I need to talk anymore about it. We kind of hammered it home earlier in the app. Okay. Uh, my number three is Roma. Directed by Alfonso Caron. Starring, I'm going to you know butcher these names as I did when I talked about on the podcast earlier. <laughs> uh, Yalitza Aparicio. She's the one that's nominated for Best Actress. Okay. Marina De Tavira. Diego Cortina Atri. Carlos Peralta. Marco Graf. Daniela Demisa. Nancy Garcia Garcia. Uh, Veronica Garcia. Storyline. A year in the life of uh, middle-class families made in Mexico City in the early 1970s. So this is based in part on Alfonso Caron's uh, own life experiences growing up in a similar situation. Uh, He kind of based the main character off of the nanny that he had growing up. Mm Mm-hmm. So the main character is an indigenous person working for as an, a maid nanny type for a Mexican family. So it must be a kind of an upper middle class Mexican family in early 1970s. I mean, it seems like they're doing pretty well. She's not the only person that works for him. So they seem pretty, pretty affluent, I guess. Mm-hmm. I believe the husband is a doctor. I forget what the wife does, but... um yeah, it was cinematography is terrific. It's black and white. Um, and I think it did work out pretty well for this movie. I like black and, and white. There's some incredible shots in here. There's there's a couple where you're like, I wonder how we did that. Like I kind of explained it before on the show that, like I know how we did certain shots, but I think of it, I'm like, that's gonna cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know how you do that or rig up a machine that would do that. Um, it's kind of like. You know, Inception, when fucking Nolan just built a, a huge hallway that he put on an even bigger rotating machine yep. that spun a hallway <laughs> for Joseph Gordon-Levin <laughs> and the other guy to, yep. you know, fight each other in. I mean, nothing that extreme. It's not like there's huge stunts, but there's long tracking shots. Like that. Long crane shots. You wonder how we got some of them. There's some, there's like some riot scenes because there's political turmoil, which is historically accurate for the early 1970s in Mexico City, which I didn't know about. Hmm. So it's pretty fascinating learning about that stuff. Yeah, great, terrific performances. Uh, you know, it's a pretty, packs an emotional punch. So, I mean, not much to knock it on. It's probably why it ranks pretty highly in my list, number three. So I wouldn't be mad if this one best picture, but this- I guess I, this is number three, and I my number two was A Star is Born. Oh, that's right. Yep. So I guess I, I want A Star is Born to win, but I'd be fine with Roma. Gotcha. Yeah, Roma's yeah. well well deserved as well. I need to watch it before the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Obviously, because my number one is not nominated for our best picture. <laughs> Suspense builds. <laughs> uh, so you can talk about your number, wait, your number three and your number two. Yep. And favorite was number one. Yep. So that'll wrap up my list. Okay. All right. So my number three, A Quiet Place. Ooh. It's honorable mention for me. Okay. Uh, so A Quiet Place, directed by John Krasinski. Theme here, 
this year with a lot of actors directing. Yep. Bradley Coops, John Krasinski. Um, what was the other one? Jonah or Jonah Hill didn't act in it, I guess. But I think that was a the theme movie. in last year's episode too, wasn't it? Did we talk about how movies that are both written and directed? Oh yeah, tend to have a better shot of being good movies. Yep. <laughs> it's a singular vision yep. that is realized, I which, guess, which makes sense. Uh so written by Brian Woods, Scott Beck, stars. Like six people. <laughs> Emily Blunt, John Krasinski, <laughs> Millicent Simmons, Noah Jupe, Cade Woodward, and Leon Russum. You forgot Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> he plays a tree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the storyline, in a post-apocalyptic world, a family is forced to live in silence while hiding from monsters with ultra-sensitive hearing. This was... In the same vein as searching, as I loved just how it was made. I was surprised yeah. at the entire fuck. I mean, there's portions where they talk, but for the most part, it's silent. Like it's literally sign language, and between the daughter and John Krasinski and the mom Emily Blunt, and then other than that, it's just it's sound effects. I mean, all mm-hmm. the way up until the end. Um, I thought that was pretty cool that they could kind of hold that for an hour and a half and still keep you into it without hardly any dialogue, really. The storyline, I thought the story was super original. Obviously, the post-apocalypse type thing isn't, but um, these monsters I can't see. They also did a good job, I thought, on the monsters themselves where they weren't... I didn't know if you'd ever see them, actually, when it first started to play and stuff like that. I thought you'd see them quick, but even when they were up close, like Bird everybody. Box. <laughs> Did you see Bird Box? Uh uh-uh. It's like a quiet place, but not quite as good. Okay. But even when they showed the like the animation, the graphics they did for the creatures they created, um, they did a good job. Like they they look they don't look out of place, anything like that. It is cool to think of Emily Blunt and John Krasinski in a movie together, given they're together outside of the movie. Um I don't know if this is his first. This is his first movie, I think, that he's directed. Maybe. Yep. Uh, I thought he did a great job. Um, even the birthing scene, there's a scene, I, I probably shouldn't give too much away, but there's a scene where she's pregnant at the beginning of the movie, so obviously you assume she's going to have a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of scenes where it's just a play on sound. It's little things that just make sounds that they dramatize and make suspenseful that are super minor in everyday life, but they really do a good job of playing off them. Not to mention the ending. I think it ends very badass. So yeah, overall, I, I I really enjoyed this one from start to finish. Uh, it was fun. It was a super fun movie going experience compared to my Halloween one, mm-hmm. where it, for some reason it was just fun to sit there and there's maybe it was the fact that there's so little dialogue. Even when I was eating my popcorn, I felt like I was being loud because all it is is sound effects. You feel like you have to be silent, <laughs> which was kind of, it, it actually made me enjoy it. it. made you feel part of the movie, actually. Uh, so, yeah, Quiet Place, number three. Number two, Blind Spotting. The Blind Side. Oh, wait, it's, <laughs> that's Andrew an older Bullock. movie. <laughs> no, they re-released it. That's uh, another one I wanted to see. Blind Spotting. David Diggs is in a... I just saw him in a movie. Yeah, what's he in? Uh, I I did too. Fuck, what is it? Because I I just saw the the trailer the other day on TV. I went, oh yeah, that dude's in 
Um, well, while you look that up, so Blind Spotting, directed by Carlos Lopez Estrada. He's in Velvet Buzzsaw. That's what I just saw him in. That's what I showed Sam the trailer for Velvet Buzzsaw. Mm-hmm. Uh, written by Rafael Casal. Oh, David Diggs. I didn't know he wrote Blind Spotting too. Um, yep. Stars David Diggs and Rafael Casal. Oh shit! I didn't know those two guys wrote this movie. Oh, interesting. Uh, Janini Gavankar, Jasmine Jones, amongst others. There's a ton that I recognize outside of those guys. But uh, story while on probation, David Diggs, a man, begins to reevaluate his relationship with his volatile best friend. Blind Spotting was probably my favorite and most enjoyable movie last year. Like I could rewatch Blind Spotting consistently, like over and over and over. Like mm-hmm. it, it was funny. It, it was thought provoking. It takes place in Oakland and which I didn't realize going into the movie that they were going to highlight how heavy like the urbanization of cities like Oakland have become. Like they hammer home like V Diggs and Rafael Casal, who's his white best friend, they both grew up in Oakland. So think of, uh, if you know the rapper g Easy, he's a white dude from Oakland. That's what David Diggs' best friend is. Like, he, he sounds like him, he acts like him, everything mm-hmm. like that. But they really hammer home, like, how Oakland used to be this more hardcore, rough, ghetto-type thing. And now, like, Oakland's turning into, it's kind of like Brooklyn, New York, where there's a big part of it that's super hipsterish. There's a funny part in it where his friend is, he has a tattoo of California on his neck. And like this hipster's like, bro, matching tats, bro. <laughs> uh, it's super fucking funny. There's some original scenes too in there where they're telling a story and then they're showing the story playing out. And that's actually the guy's voice that's mimicking stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Overall, super funny. Uh, it makes you think about a lot more than I think you thought you would going into it. Um, the title is smart on what it's talking about. They explain the title in the movie, basically. But yeah, overall, I would say this is definitely one of my favorite movies of the last year. Blind spotting. Nice. Yeah, that's another one I would have liked to have seen before making this list. But Yeah, I think you'll like it a lot. So my number one is... The House That Jack Built. You heard of this? Fuck no. <laughs> it's Lars von Trier's new movie. Matt Dillon's a serial killer. No, I've so, never heard of this. Directed and written by Lars von Trier, starring Matt Dillon, Bruno Ganz, who just passed away this past week, hmm. Uma Thurman. Uh, it's got your girl Riley Keough in here. So now you got to see it. Why is that my girl? American Honey, and you keep on talking. Oh, and uh, it comes at night. Check out how much you love Radley Keough last year. Well, I thought that was your girl. Just because American Honey, and it comes at night. <laughs> <laughs> she just she just acts and bangers, dude. Whatever. Oh, <laughs> well, she's the daughter of Lisa Marie Presley. Yeah, that was his granddaughter. Snap. Uh, Jeremy Davies. Jack McKenzie. Ed Sp- Spilliers. Hmm. Storyline. 
The story follows Jack, a highly intelligent serial killer, over the course of 12 years and depicts the murders that really develop his inner madman. So it's kind of narrated by Matt Dillon as he's speaking to Bruno Ganz off screen. And they're having a debate about his murders and what he considers them to be. He, he considers them to be art. And so he basically argues and debates with Bruno Ganz throughout the entire movie. And he picks five random incidents or murders throughout his career of killing people. Mm-hmm. Almost like vignettes. So the first one is with Uma Thurman. Second one is a older woman. I mean, some of the murders are more than one person. Uh, it's very dark, of course. It's Lars von Trier talking about a serial killer. Yep. Uh, there is a scene where he does murder two children. So you have to watch that. It does kind of cut away from, I guess, the moment they're being killed, but mm-hmm. you still see the aftermath. Okay. And this is an edited version. <laughs> I, IFC Films bought the distribution rights, and it was a big to-do about it because it had to be edited down to get an R rating. And then before it was to be released, they had a special event at a one or two theaters where they screened the unedited version and the MPAA got real fucking pissed off about it because they'd already rated the movie and they're saying, Hey, you can't show this movie. If it's already been rated, you know, they're showing the not rated version. Like you can't do that. And they threatened to pull the rating from Mm. it, which would obviously cause a lot of problems for distribution. All right. They threatened to pull it. I think they made some sort of concession and, uh, the MPAA, let him keep the rating, but it was a controversy for a couple of weeks. And I think from what I've seen on the line, the unedited version only has a few more minutes in it, but I'm willing to bet that it shows the two children dying more graphically. Okay. And the unedited one, unedited one. Sure. But if it's already graphic enough to see it, where'd you watch it? But I rented it, uh, you know, VOD. Oh, Okay. So I got it that way. I think you can rent it through Amazon. It isn't out on Blu-ray yet. Okay. Um, I'm kind of waiting to see what will happen if I've seen uh, a cover of the Blu-ray that's, you know, unedited director's cut, but it was for a, and it was like a foreign Blu-ray. It was like a French or a Canadian Blu-ray. Yep. So I'll have to wait and see what, I guess, editions they, they release. I mean, so like I said, it's very dark can be a tough watch at times but there's so many things in there that are just fascinating Uh, you haven't seen nymphomaniac but in that movie um also kind of narrated i mean i guess not kind of it is Mm -hmm. but uh they try to relate it to things in everyday life and you learn some pretty fascinating stuff about history and like in this one, you find out interesting things about World War II and artists from, you know, the 15th century and architecture and things like that, hmm. like random stuff. They they fit it into the movie to make it relate, so it isn't just random. But sure, obviously, this has a very divisive critical reaction. I think it was in the high 50s around Tomatoes. Okay, right around 58, 60. Like it can, it showed it can. And they said like a hundred people walked out of the premiere 
but those that stayed gave it like you know like a eight minute standing ovation that type of thing mm-hmm. which is quite common with his movies <laughs> right pretty divisive yeah um it's also about you know it's the conversation of what they're having is what is art and he relates it to kind of his own career von trier does um, he references his past films in the house that jack built and it's kind of alluded to he's referencing critical reaction to them and whether that's fair or not fair mm-hmm. and talking about his art and what is art and I thought it was very, I guess, powerful conversation about art because I get, I get a little romantic about films like that, you know, that mm-hmm. discuss film as art and what film and art can be in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that he discusses it. It's pretty meta that way because I said it's narration. Plus, he's referencing his past movies. They even show clips. Like, there's a clip from Antichrist and <laughs> Nymphomaniac that just kind of splices in. Okay. Um, Actually, in Nymphomaniac, there's also a clip of Antichrist, which is kind of funny, but self-referential. At times, it is a tough watch, but I watched it twice. I watched it the next night because it was like a 48-hour rental deal or mm-hmm. 24-hour, something like that. But And the song that plays over the end credits, like it cuts the credits and a song comes on. It has one of the best place songs I can ever think of in a movie. It was just so perfect. For the movie and for the, you know, it just ended and that was the credits. Fucking hilarious. I started laughing my ass off as soon as it, the credits started rolling. I was like, you picked this fucking song? Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, the, you know, cherry on top of the Sunday right there. Mm-hmm. So obviously it's a very divisive movie, but I'm a Von Trier fan. So right. I I'm, do like I'm films. generally going to fall on the side of I like it. Now, I haven't seen all of his films. Well, the ones I've had, I've quite enjoyed. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I'm going to have to check this out. Yeah, maybe maybe by yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's Matt Dillon is terrific in here. I could see him as a serial killer. And uh, reading about it now, um, there's a lot of things that are based off of other things in real life, like murders and serial killers before and, a lot of things I didn't even realize that, you know, it doesn't talk about in the movie, but when you read about it and you go, oh, I didn't even know about this. It's like, no, this isn't all necessarily that far off. Huh. <laughs> but I understand if some people are like, well, that's disgusting to watch and I don't want to spend my time that way. <laughs> you know? Right. Yep. I mean, that's film at the end of the day. Yep. Everybody. I, I've never understood walking out of a movie but, uh, I mean, some people don't. I do know people who, my mom's one of them, and she she loves good films. She loves all types of films, but she also says that she likes most. She likes a good wrap up at the end, that type of thing. So, yeah. teach her. I mean, certain people go to the movies for different things. They don't want to sit there to sit through disturbing shit forever. Forget mm-hmm. I describe certain movies the same. I'm like, you, you'll you'll feel super depressed afterwards. <laughs> like, Jake, why do you want to watch that? <laughs> like, well, I don't know, just different take on something. Mm-hmm. Don't you want to try and experience? I mean, everything doesn't end happy <laughs> yeah. in life, so it's kind of the same way. I don't know. Yeah, that's why I, I appreciate. She liked La La Land, didn't she? <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, they didn't end up together. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> what? My parents are the same way. Oh. They like happy endings or they and they they just like them to end. Yeah. How they want them to end. Like they don't they don't want to think too deeply about it. Mm-hmm. Like I think when I've described No Country for Old Men to certain people are like, "Yeah, I saw that ending." I I'm like, "Well, what I read, this is what they're trying to get across. Like that's yeah. like, like a lot of people. I think they're like, I don't give a shit. I wasn't entertained. Like <laughs> they don't like you know, some people are just like I. Yeah, well, I I can see why they did that, but that's not an entertaining movie. Yeah. Although my dad will film me. But to I... me, it's like well, I a lot of people do find it entertaining. Like, yeah, it, it's just a different story. Like it's it's a different way of telling a story. It's about different things than just complete closure mm-hmm. you know what i mean like my dad throws me a curveball once in a while like you know when i found out he was a big fan of clockwork orange i'm like what you've seen that <laughs> you sat through that whole thing <laughs> <laughs> like he was, he was huge into it when he was a uh, growing up you know when he was like at, in his early 20s or something like that they got a picture of him with a fake eyelash or would have been i guess late would have been his teens maybe like yeah, there's other examples where I was like, oh, you've watched that movie? Jesus, you didn't watch that with mom, did you? That type of thing. <laughs> Almost like your mom like doesn't watch a lot of movies with your dad, type of thing. No, yeah, won't even put. But mostly because he just doesn't really like a lot of movies. But no, no. Like a Clockwork, he wouldn't watch with my mom because it's Clockwork Orange. No, <laughs> no. He would look at it and go, "Nah, it looks weird." <laughs> <laughs> I don't like rape. <laughs> Is there shooting in this? <laughs> a lot of violence a lot of rape not into it all right um i think they'll about do it already been talking for quite a while now yeah it's a long one so we'll see you in about another year and we'll see you next year <laughs> i'll tell you after i've watched all the movies on Mulder's list <laughs> <laughs> all right um yeah don't know yet if the space jam episode is going to come out or not stay tuned for that but uh, you can reach out to us. Email us at watchthismovie at yahoo.com. You can follow us on Twitter at watchthis underscore movie. Rate and review. Subscribe on iTunes and or Stitcher. Check out our website at wtmwatchthismovie.com. We will check you later. Guess we'll see you around. All right. Check you later. Bye. Later. Man, why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking about? Check you later. Check you later. Hey, man, you off my case.